This Tuesday, Ireland head to Sweden in a bid to keep their World Cup hopes alive. Five yards out, in towards O'Sullivan with the header! And a hat-trick! Full live and exclusive commentary on Tuesday at 5.30, only on OTB Sports Radio. OTB AM With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, it's Tuesday morning. You're very welcome along. It's OTBAM. It's Sharon Colin Bowie with you all the way through until 10 this morning. If you'd like to get involved, we'd love to hear from you. The hashtag is OTBAM. You can text the show 0879-180-180. And um, on top of that, you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. We'd love to hear from you. The Chevy League action tonight. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. There are many interesting stories in the football, including a uh, fast food 11 in the sun, which we might talk about in the papers a bit. Let's see if you can guess who the manager is. And um, plenty more besides. We're going to head over to Sweden. The Republic of Ireland are in action tonight in a very big game. If they were to get something from it, then qualification for the World Cup wouldn't be assured. But certainly we would be putting ourselves in the box seat for it. Uh, And apart from that, there's loads of other stuff going on too. Uh, We're going to hear from the best footballer in the country. We're going to hear from one of the best, if not the best hurler in the country on the show. So it's a box office show and it also has Colin Buick. Can't have everything, eh? Ah, that's good that's a good start um, the football pod with uh, Tommy Rooney and James O'Donoghue and Paddy Andrews obviously went viral last week with Paddy Andrews story and they talked a little bit about that it might go viral in wedding circles this week um, because there was uh, Paddy's weekend was a little bit clogged up it's fair to say he was otherwise booked when the biggest sporting day of the year so far was uh, was on. So the Premier League title race is up for grabs and the speeches are being made and Paddy Andrews says he's in the... I'm, I'm blowing the podcast, the first 10 minutes of the podcast here. Spoiler alert. He's sitting beside Joey O'Brien who, of course, works with Duffer at uh, Shelburne, played for the Republic of Ireland and West Ham and they're watching the game on, on the phone. It's it's two all and they're watching the game on the phone the speeches are on. What's the etiquette around this? You're at a wedding... And the speeches are happening and there's a match on. Or, or, do the organisers know the match is on and schedule the speeches before and after? I believe that said match was actually of not of that much direct interest to Paddy. Well, you don't which know... Which kind of adds to the poor etiquette. Well, well you don't know Joey O'Brien's not a Liverpool fan. Well, I, yeah, but I, you led with Paddy. I did, yeah, but I mean... No, I mean, I was concentrating on Paddy here. I thought Joey was just an accomplice and had no well, choice think, in the matter. I, I think... Paddy claims uh, he's certainly painting himself as an accomplice in this. How many weddings have you been to where the phone is uh, rested on something in the middle of a wedding table like this? I'd say uh, every wedding that since since smartphones have started to be able to stream stuff. And you'll get this look from people in the guest again for the video audience. You'll be back up down, back up down. And you know that they're watching something that's bonding them all together. And I know the feeling because when you told me this story before I went on there this morning I was like wow this is uh, this hits really close to home because at my wedding when I was doing my speech I thought I was going very well when you were doing your speech yeah when I was doing my speech and we prepped you for that weeks and weeks in you were nervous for me like you were uh, and I hadn't thought about it until you said like have you prepared for it have you written something and I hadn't written anything until like two weeks beforehand when my wife found out that I hadn't written anything. So there was a few drafts written. Okay, good. The yeah, work was good. put into this. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and rightly so. Yeah, and I was speaking and I thought... Most important speech of your life. Big day for you. I don't know. I, see, there's no pressure on the groom. Well, All the groom has to You can't say, screw it up. No, the groom just stands up and says thank you, which is actually, this is exactly the conversation we had. Yeah, no. And it's the best man that everybody... No. 
is focusing on. So I just Except got up. your wife's going to remember every single word you say for the rest of your life. I don't think so. She huh? spoke afterwards, so she's also thinking what she's going to say. But anyway, you just get up and you say thanks or whatever. And uh, I was chatting away and I was looking around the room and I felt people were captivated. Everybody. Really interested. 99.999% Really, really like, yeah, I'm like, every word, like, what's he going to say next? This yeah. is incredible. You were involving everybody, around, making eye contact. And then the table at the back left. I mean, that's a hint straight away. Well, I was going to say. Okay, right? so least, least, least important table in the place. So I was looking around. Everybody's looking up. And then these two lads, these two, right at the back on their phones like this. Every so often and look up when they'd hear an applause, they'd be like kind of shook from what they were doing and then back onto it. Now, what was happening at that time? This was Saturday, the 4th of September at 5 p.m. Okay, none of the rest of us are going to remember exactly what was happening. Which at that was the Republic of Ireland versus Azerbaijan. Oh, very important. Stephen Kenny's career hanging by a knife edge. It was at the time. Yeah, I mean, I did. Ireland had just narrowly lost to Portugal and Pharaoh a couple of days beforehand. And there was a feel good feeling, but they kind of had to win this Azerbaijan match. But when someone tunes out for Azerbaijan, and I, I, I thought I was a bit higher than that. And then uh, when you find out the people involved were watching. Who were the people involved? Um, close to home. Tell us, come on, no names. They're close to home uh, here. Adrian or, Barry and Nathan Murphy. Might have been. Tw- Tweedledum and Tweedledummer. Might have been. Unbelievable. Right. So they were representing the parish. Oh. This is at a time when uh, there was a limit on numbers. <clears throat> they were there. I can't believe they made the call. And right. uh, the lack of focus, considering this is what they do for a living. They, their, and their etiquette was out the window. It's because they weren't working that their heads were gone. What but should, there, was, there were bigger football fans than those two well, in the should, room. Should you just have had the speeches after the match was over and let everybody to repair oh, the bar for we actually, uh, well, actually, first of the chef was like, you have to do the speeches at these times. Okay. So that was the first thing. You didn't care about right. any match. But then secondly, I weighed that up because it was Azerbaijan. So I was like, I don't think, I don't think we need to move these. I think, I think Ireland should win this match. Yeah, fair enough. I don't think we need, I don't think we need to do that. Uh, the... The Heineken Cup final was on the day of our wedding and we just moved everything to after the game was over. It was like, we just know people, gonna, Cup final? people are, are going to stand and watch this uh, or they're going to mingle. It was like, okay, we're just going to serve sandwiches during the game and then afterwards we'll move on to the dinner. Wasn't Nathan the uh, best man at the wedding? It was Mayo's uh, famous replay against Dublin. Wasn't that a few years ago? Yeah, he was best man and he said um, it was just a disaster. No one was paying attention to anything at all. So what is it with Nathan and a lack of focus at weddings? Well, I mean, so what What, what can you do, though? Is it like, at the same time, with all due respect to your, I'm sure, amazing wedding speech. It was unbelievable. It only matters to you. <laughs> it doesn't matter to anybody else. No one, like, they're not there for the speeches. It doesn't really matter. What, it goes back to this... Like, uh, shouldn't pre- it, is the point not, like, everybody in the room should be as happy as possible, and if, if yeah. Paddy and Joey O'Brien need to be happy watching the match, they're not missing anything. Of course, it doesn't matter what I'm saying. Nobody cares what I'm saying. But the whole point is etiquette. Go back to the start. Joseph Conroy mentioned it beforehand and we went on air. We were talking about this and he said it's all about etiquette. You have to pretend. You have to keep the head up. If you don't keep the head up, you're liable to be accused of anything at all. And so you were definitely accusing and naming and shaming the two lads. But what is the, if anybody out there has them, any actually. ideas about the, what the right course of action is and also make sure you tune into this week's edition of the Football Pod, episode 12 of season two.
Uh, I've only heard the first 20 minutes of it and it's already great. Uh, so you can get that wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, hopefully, if you're still having any trouble with podcasts, let me know. They should be nearly fixed. We're on the verge of it. I've, I've been telling you that for months now, but this time it's actually true. Uh, OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Um, uh, one last thing. You were back playing football last night. I was first time in six months. Now, absolute bits today. People should remember that you're very injury prone. You're kind of a, a Darren Adderton, or is there a latter day equivalent? There's many of them, but who would the who's the modern day? Um, you and so yeah, what's modern day equivalent? Uh, yeah, first time in six months. First time as a married man. Yeah, it just hits differently, doesn't it? There you go. And uh, yeah, because when I started this job three weeks in, I did my ankle in said game, that exact game, oh, that right. Monday night game, on the exact pitch. And uh, that's one of the first times. I've played about three or four times since then, but this is the first time in six months. And uh, this morning was not good. You're an aggressive cork person. Are you that type of aggressive cork person on the field as well? No. The shaved head? Very, um, well, the shaved head, yeah. Just, uh, yeah, didn't really match the persona of what I was like last night. I actually found, I don't know what people are like with this, but if you go any, any time at all without playing, like the stamina just completely goes with each passing year. I was absolutely wrecked. Thank God they played tip-offs. In this Astro, that actually saved me. So some some games you just score goals and you continue playing straight away. The tip offs actually saved me, but I was panting after like like genuinely now about eight minutes. But the first five was great. A few touches here and there, like picking it off left and right. Then as soon as you have to like run back, run to the side, run forward, you start losing possession because all the stamina goes, and uh, it's a bit humbling when you're younger and get away with it. You're not younger anymore though. When's the last time you played Astro? I, I, could be 10 years at this stage. There's just a point where you realise there's no point in this. The risks far outweigh the benefits. It's because of the several injuries you can pick up along the way. Well, like you said... That's just me. I think I'm in a kind of exception to the number stroke, of injuries but the next I time, The next time you do your Achilles, it'll be a rupture and it'll be two years of rehab. There'll be no fancy uh, high-end medical equipment to help you recover. It'll be like long, slow, steady... Have you ruptured your Achilles? No, no. But I nearly. I have. I've damaged my Achilles, and it's very painful. Yeah, very, very painful. So, I wish you the best, and I, I cancel you to stop. Oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number if you want to get in touch with this morning. Champions League tonight: uh, Real against Chelsea. Thomas Tuchel has been talking down his chances all week, and yet the papers are full of famous moments where somehow. Chelsea have managed to make a, a remarkable comeback. They're not going to do it tonight, are they? There's no chance. And then also Bayern against Villarreal, where Villarreal do have a chance of going through because they're ahead, but I think they're going to rue missed chances. Is this a night where this is like, you're happy to dual screen and not miss too much? No, I'm, just going, to, I'm going to go straight on Madrid-Chelsea, I think. Just in case Chelsea bring the kind of Southampton vibes to the match. Did you see that Southampton game, by the way? They genuine, genuinely could have been double figures. Yeah. Like, genuine. I know there's a slight difference between well, I, the sides, I, but it's the, I wish, the words you hate, momentum. No offence, but I wish Owen was here because he's been banging on about Timo Werner and this was, this was the moment for his boy to fully emerge yeah. like a, a, a butterfly <laughs> from the chrysalis. But actually, he was crap, wasn't he? No, he had an hilarious match. He scored twice, but he hit the woodwork. Three times. Three times. A hat-trick. I know his first goal was brilliant. Well, the way like, he come took on, it. no. It's like, yeah, but it should have been 9-0. And he missed the 9-0. It, like... It's the scheduled Man City or the scheduled Southampton nine nil, and it's down to Timo. All you got to do to make history, to make sure that, it, that the annual one happens. Yeah, I'm sorry we put our faith in you, Timo. You've let I us down. I was delighted when I saw a live score that he had scored twice. Yeah, it's very lovable. I really want him to do well for the Chelsea guy. It's hard to say, but it's true. I um, 
Yeah. I was laughing with the header though with the crossbar. I, anybody else that would have got in, it just smacked them in the forehead, off the bar and back. Well, there you go. Accidental footballer. Uh, right, here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock. Uh, we're going to Sweden, where the Republic of Ireland are in action tonight. Coverage starts from 5 on OTB Sports Radio. Just tell your smart speaker to play Off the Ball Radio or OTB Sports or OTB Radio and uh, you can have non-stop top quality sports content for nothing. Uh, that is from Ashley Nitz. We're going straight. Daniel Harris at 8 o'clock. Uh, we're going to hear from um, Clifford and Moynihan, two of the best young footballers in the country, in conversation with Owen Sheehan at 20 past 8. Sports News at 8.40. Gerard Hegarty is going to join us live at 8.50. If you have any questions for him or Limerick, indeed, in general, then it would be a good time to get in touch. Phil Egan is going to join us at 10 past 9. And um, some Kenny goodness at uh, half past nine to play us out this morning. Ashley O'Reilly, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning, lads. How's it going? How is Sweden? It's lovely, yeah. Really nice. I got to go out and see a little bit of Gothenburg yesterday. And really nice. Just super, super clean. Really calm, quiet, uh, but really nice city. So yeah, hopefully get a little bit more time today now. It's always funny how Irish people notice how clean other places are. It's almost <laughs> like the place that we live in is a bit of a pigsty. <laughs> I know I mentioned it yesterday, but it does really strike you. Everywhere like, you go. F- <laughs> like literally, no, you're dead right. It's everywhere you go. It's like, oh look, they don't have litter here. Why is that? We're just pigs. Yeah. I know, no. Um, Ireland is lovely, but it really does strike you when you when you come here. I don't, I don't know what it is. I, I haven't seen any litter on the ground whatsoever. Um, but yeah, it's a lovely, lovely city. Have you ever been before? No, never been to Gothenburg. No. Yeah, really lovely. Is it expensive? Yeah, that struck me as well. Um, it was over 50 quid for the taxi and it was 20 minutes from the airport. So that was my first experience. <laughs> what are you talking about a coffee now? How much are we talking um, about? It, yeah, it's uh, probably around a five or four or five quid. Jesus, yeah. I thought that yeah, was expensive. Yeah, so... Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like Dublin, I suppose, but I think the taxis probably are that bit more. Right. Well... <laughs> there you are now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so let's hear from Katie McCabe. Here is Ashley having a conversation with Katie. We're going to talk about this on the back of it. Have a look. Katie McCabe, the Ireland captain. Are you excited to go out here against Sweden tomorrow night? Yeah, definitely looking forward to it. Um, we know it's going to be a big test for us, um, but one we're, we're, we're ready for. And so you've been here a few days. You landed on Saturday. Are the team settled in? What's the mood like? Yeah, it's a lovely city. Um, a few of us have been enjoying it. A nice walkabout and grabbing a coffee in the mornings. Um, yeah, relaxed environment, but we're fully focused then when we're getting the pitch. And at the moment in this Ireland team, it's really exciting. You have a mix of young and more experienced players. How does that blend work? Yeah, it's definitely a good balance. I think we've shown, especially with some of the young players, even playing against Georgia. Um, and then obviously we had the Pinatar Cup as well. And we've had some players to get minutes um, to kind of get that experience at international level. Um, so yeah, a good, a good balance. Um, but uh, yeah, all good. And so this Ireland team, it's really exciting. You know, anyone you talk to, there's a really good buzz about Irish football at the minute. Do you feel it as a team? Yeah, definitely. Um, we feel, obviously, the support we have from back home, especially when we're on these big away games. Um, and then, obviously, even more so when we are playing at Tallah Stadium, the, the fans coming to support us. Um, yeah, they definitely help us get over the line. And for tomorrow, what is the, the best outcome that you'd hope for leaving the pitch tomorrow night? To not lose, I suppose, um, is definitely the, the most um, 
yeah, the best outcome for me. Um, I think we know it's going to be a massive, massive game. Um, we know how good they are, the second best team in the world. But um, yeah, for sure we'll be ready for it. And I just seen during the week, just your your sister Lauren, she's um, a footballer as well, playing um, with Ireland. Um, she puts up her videos, doing all her skills, and that yeah. she she's brilliant. She must really look up to you. Yeah, the under fifteen team are currently away in England at the minute with the Bob, Bob Doherty t- uh, Cup, and um, yeah, it's delight. I'm delighted to obviously see her do so well um, at the start of her journey. So hopefully she has a, a big career ahead of her. And is this the dream to to do what her big sister's doing? I think so. I think she uh, she's always asking questions and about Arsenal and Ireland and that. Um, so yeah, it's it's great for her to to be able to dream of becoming a professional footballer one day. And just on the support, um, it's sold out. We're hearing nearly sold out for tomorrow night. That's really exciting. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's great. Obviously, um, Sweden uh, have have sold it out. I think it'll make you uh, that bit more special as well. All right, Ashton, there's loads of interesting stuff in that. I think the thing that strikes you immediately is uh, what, what's the ambition not to lose? Uh, it's, always, <laughs> it's always an interesting... Well, we're already um, setting our stall out as uh, this is going to be a back-to-the-wall defensive game for us. Yeah, I think we know we're up against it. Like, even in the press conference when we asked Katie and Vera, we said, you know, you take a draw... And they said, yes, gladly we take a draw, but you know, no one goes out to lose these games. You know, you want to come here, you want to do your best, and they'd be absolutely gutted if they lose. But Vera said that if I can walk away from that pitch and know that we left absolutely everything out there, you know, that that's a massive win for us. I think they're just under no illusion at where Sweden are at at the minute. Yes, we played them back in October, and it was 1-0. It was actually an own goal as well, so it could have been a draw that night. But I think this Sweden team are at a different place now and they're coming off the back of that 15-0 win. Full of confidence, scoring goals for fun. They're at home, a packed crowd of all their supporters. You know, that was something that came up as well in the press conference about the noise. You know, are the girls prepared for this? You know, of not your supporters there, a packed stadium. All of those things that will have an effect on the game um, with these really experienced Sweden players. So... I think they're just under no illusion, but uh, going to give it absolutely everything. And look, Ireland's in a really good place, a really strong team. You know, they're gelling well together. They're, they're, their attacking style is, is brilliant. So I, that's what I was actually speaking to Julianne Russell about last night. Julianne is going to be with me here today. Um, we're going to be, she's going to be doing the co-commentary. She actually was just saying that, like, you know, they, they're brilliant at this attacking style and it'd be you know, terrible for them to come out and park the bus almost you know they actually should keep to their own style so hopefully that's what we will see I think we will I don't think they'll change things up dramatically um, so hopefully they can go out and just put in a really good performance and yeah as I said a, a, a draw they would take it yeah, and look, it's just it's difficult because if that is your starting point, then uh, you're in for 97, 98 minutes of uh, very hard work. And I don't know, is there are there is anybody you've spoken to suggesting that there's any possibility of a smash and grab here where you know we might be able to hit them on the counter, or is that not even part of anybody's agenda that you've spoken to? No, absolutely. Like they're they're gonna go out and go for the win, of course. I, like as I was mentioning, the like. Heather Payne, the likes of these unbelievable talent that we have within the squad that are on really good form, you know, for their club as well. Like, why not, you know? So absolutely, they're going to go for it. It's it's just, I suppose, the chat that we're having probably at press conferences and that is just that. It, it's a big challenge. And I suppose it's good to go out knowing what you're up against. Um, 
but also absolutely going going for the win. So yeah, there's a chance. Of course, there is. You know, they as they said, they they'll go out and hope to to do everything they can do and leave it all on the pitch. And I, I'm excited for it. Like I do think they're they're gonna. Uh, there's going to be goals, you know. Diane Russell last night she said that it's going to. She thinks she'll see four goals. She thinks it's going to be a draw, um, to all. So you never know. You never know. I'm li- I'm living in hope for sure. The uh, Sweden kit was mentioned again in the press conference. What did you make of Vera Powell and Katie McCabe's reaction to that when it was asked? <laughs> yeah, it was sort of funny. Katie was just like, "Yeah, we didn't buy the jersey. No one's purchased it." <laughs> um, and then Vera Powell was asked as well, and and she said the same thing, like. You know, she she sort of said, "Look, they're the, they're the team they are. They're they're an unbelievable outfit. And when you're at that stage, you can do these things. You know, when you put up these performances, you you, can, you you're entitled to do this." Um. So she said, "Well done, Sweden. You know, you, you're allowed to do these things if you're that type of team." So yeah, I, th- I thought that was pretty good from her. <laughs> what did you make of the Sweden kid and the launch? I thought it, it was quite bizarre, to be honest. Like, I never ever seen anything like this. I, I asked Jaron Owen yesterday, um, have you ever seen anything like this? I asked Joe last night and he's saying, no, never seen anything like it. But at the same time, the, the, the coach yesterday, Peter, the Sweden coach, he was saying, you know, I don't like to be an underdog. I'm a winner. And that's why, you know, they've done this. Um, I hate this underdog tag that sometimes they get. Um, and he said, you know, we want to be known as the best. And that's why they've gone out and, and done it. And if you don't know about this, then buy the shirts. So, that, yeah, that, yeah, was, that look, was his advice. <laughs> if they smash us 5-0, you know, fair play. Your your arrogance is working out for you there, um, Mr. Gerhardson. But uh, if they were to slip up, for example, tonight, then this would be one of the all-time great... Well, you deserve that. You absolutely deserve that. So, uh, Oh, it would be brilliant. Um, and was that generally the tone of their press conference? Like, like we are one of the best teams in the world. So what's the big deal? Um, well, they they had some players speaking as well, and I think they they're quite humble. Like you know, they they really are, and they were asked a lot about um, Ireland as well, what the, what they thought of them and how they performed. And like the biggest thing that came up when they spoke about Ireland was the development in the squad. You know, they just mentioned of they really see how far Ireland have come on that they never really got a chance to, to really come up against them before, and now they know and they have the knowledge on them now and. You know, they mentioned that they have so many key players that can really change a game, and that's what you need in a you know a world class team, really. And they were saying that Ireland has this, and that, and Ireland does have this. You know, we do have these players, so that was really nice to, to hear that side of things. Um, and they know that they're going to be up against it. One of their toughest games today, really their toughest game. Like I was speaking with a, a Swedish journalist as well, and he said the toughest game they've had really is Ireland. So, you know, it, it is going to be a brilliant game, and and there's absolutely like no shadow of a doubt that we can go out and do this so we absolutely should be keeping the hope I just want to play this clip this is Vera Pau she was asked um, about UEFA generally and the lack of fixtures over the last couple of years so have a look at this can I come, can I come back to my earlier question of you two and a half years in charge 20 games and I'm complete I'm proud of it uh, and it's fantastic but how many games did Sweden play in the last two and a half years 55 or so? Possibly. Possibly. That says it all. UEFA, hope you listen. Well, I'm really, really proud. We are all proud. Players also and, and the rest of the staff that every single game we became better under these circumstances. And that shows the talent that we have in the squad and the determination that we have in the squad from the players. And that is so contagious to our staff to give us all to them. 
Um, and, and yeah, that is what we make from it. We are growing, even though we only play 20 games in two and a half years. That's Vera Pau complaining really to UEFA about the lack of games that they've had. Actually, was this also part of the other wider conversation? Because uh, I, I kind of haven't heard her talk about this before. Yeah, it was almost like this was something she really wanted to get across yesterday in the press conference. You know, she mentioned it quite a few times and that clip that we played there, she was actually asked about her 20th time managing the team is going to be today. So she was said, you know, this isn't a great achievement. Um, how is your time being from start to finish? And she sort of just cut that question off and said, can I actually just go back and just mention this is only my 20th time managing this team in two and a half years. So as much as she was so proud of this, she was annoyed that she has only had 20 games. And then she just alluded to Sweden. They've had over 55 games. And she said this is a massive problem from the, the top teams to maybe the second tier teams. And she said that she went to UA for herself. She spoke with them and said, you know, do you understand this? And they said that they'd never, nobody has came to them and said this before. And they And she said, I was quite surprised by that. She said that I'm actually going to have a conversation about this and we're going to look to maybe putting something together that, you know, there's more fixtures than you play maybe without your your um, your girls that are playing maybe in, in Champions League or whatever. So you're without them and you have more fixtures then for the, maybe the second tier teams. Because she said it's a, it's a massive problem within the game. And I, sorry, do we know why Sweden were able to have 55 games? Like, is that just the way that they've organised things themselves? Like, what, what, what's the difference? Why have they... Was, is, is any of this COVID related? Um, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's probably to do with the, the way they structure things here in Sweden as well. Um, just the way they have their leagues done out and that we're probably with the League of Ireland. Then we've a lot of girls that are away as well. So she wanted more games, maybe for the girls that are playing in the League of Ireland that are at home, you know, that they have the chances to play more games because they're available. When the girls maybe that are in England, in America they're away so that she, she was saying that's fine you know we can be without them but we can still develop here um, at home so I think that's a big part of it as well because Katie talked about you know we really have to look after our game at home in order for us to ever like benefit of it from international level you know we, we have to put in the work at, at the League of Ireland so yeah, that, that was a big thing that came up. But uh, yeah, you could really tell that Vera was really annoyed. And I think she mentioned it maybe four or five times throughout the, the press conference. Well, very interesting to see. And like, presumably the FAI can do something about this too and, and organise those type of games. They won't be internationally sanctioned. They might not be full caps for them. But there, there are ways and means around that that um, I guess the FAI could have an influence over. So it's not just the UEFA problem as well. And just to, to go back to the Katie um interview she definitely had her game face on it was uh, it was it wasn't uh, brusque it wasn't impolite uh, it was uh, we're, this is all about business here there was um, there was none of the usual chat that you get from her yeah um, there was a little bit of it in the press conference but uh, yeah the, it, it was exactly what you said there uh, she's she's very much has her game face on and as the captain of the team you need to have that and Katie is a massive leader within that group. I was speaking to Julianne Russell yesterday, who's actually, she's going to be, she was on call actually for the game. So she was on standby. Um, so it's quite interesting. Um, we'll have that interview going out. So she'll explain all of that. But she was basically just saying to me about Katie, what type of leader she is. And she's a massive figure in the dressing room. But then once she gets on that pitch, 
um, yeah, she, she's just unbelievable in the way she leads the team and she's going out there to win and, and rightly so. You know, she said that the best result for her is to win. That's all that she wants to, to go out and do and she believes in this team. She really believes that, you know, this is the best and most exciting team that she's ever played on. Like I said, from 2015, when you made your debut to 2022, you know, have you seen a massive growth in Irish football? And she said massively, like it's unbelievable to, to see where it's came from. You know, there's no chaos behind the scenes anymore. That's that's what she said. And then now at this present minute, you know, this is the most exciting time that she's ever played Irish football. So she's just raring to go. All right. Give us your prediction. Um, I'll go for... At uh, three one, well, yeah, okay, oh. fair enough. I'm sorry, I don't know why I didn't think of prediction, but uh, I did, I did it on the spot there. Three one. What about you? You you just have to give me one now, sure. Uh, I I think three one sounds about right. Uh, there could easily be four goals. Like they're they're a better team than us at the moment. And um, Emma is pointing out that obviously Sweden had the Olympics together as well, which. You know, it's it's the whole point that we've been making about the GEA Championship. The best teams get better in summer because they stick together for an extra eight weeks where the weather's good and they're winning games and they're playing games. Mm. And I think that, um, like, we've come a long way and finishing second in this group is absolutely the target. But coming out of tonight with a creditable performance, if that's a 3-1 defeat, you know, ideally it'd be a, a one-all draw, which is, you know, our usual result in international football. But yeah. I think more likely to be 3-1. Love a good one-all. Yeah, I'd say you're right, lads. I'd say three or four for Sweden, but hopefully we score one or two in reply. Did you get, like, have you got the feeling, Ashling, in and amongst the players and staff last couple of days that, like, what's the overriding emotion? Is it excitement or is it fear or trepidation about what might happen? Are, is a kind of like a backs against the wall we want to show people what we can do because Irish women's football has never been in a better place but yet 20 games in two and a half years under Vera Pau is really frustrating so what did you, what's the vibe you've got in the two days in Sweden so far in terms of the players attitude towards this match Absolutely that they're, they're in a really good place really exciting place and that you know this is a massive opportunity they're really excited for it they want to play the top teams you know they're playing arguably the, the, the best team in the world, you know. Um, it, it's a massive opportunity for them. I think they, they see it that way more than any fear. I've never heard any of them mention anything like that. You know, this is a massive opportunity. They're going out to a packed stadium, playing world-class players, their world-class players. You know, it's it's just a really exciting time in, in football, in women's football in general. So I think overall... It's just a massive occasion and they're so happy to, to be playing along in this Irish team who's going out and putting up these brilliant results and so far had a, a great campaign. So they just want to continue it on. They're in with a chance of qualifying. They're sitting second at, as, at the moment in the group. They're coming up against the, the top tier Sweden, 18 points clear at the top. They know what they're up against, but it's a massive opportunity and they're really looking forward to it. All right, Ash, good stuff. Enjoy the rest of today. Thanks a million. And the game tonight, of course. Coverage starts from Thanks. five on OTB Sports Radio. Make sure you're tuned in. Sweden versus the Republic of Ireland. Ashing and Julianne Russell in Sweden for us. Full match commentary with Nathan and Dora Gorman on OTB Sports Radio. As I said, kickoff is 5.30. Coverage starts from five. It's all with thanks to Sky, proud partner of the women's national team. Out Believe Together and we can go anywhere. You can uh, get it on the OTB Sports app or just tell your smart speaker to play OTB Sports Radio. It is a minute past eight this morning. Um, who gets married on a Sunday asks the provocative uh, John on 
YouTube. Many people get married on a Sunday, John. I guess it's about availability of wedding venues, which is obviously contracted in the aftermath of COVID where nobody's getting married. It's true. It's tricky, you know. It's true. There's venues... Um, John either got married 10 years ago or has no mates getting married at the moment. Yeah, no, I understand Sunday's Johnny, annoying. No mates. I, I, I didn't mean that, Johnny, but you probably are. I was invited to a Wednesday wedding recently. That's two days out of your holidays. It's gone. Yeah, I've heard of um, venues slapping on an extra three or four grand now to couples because of inflation and couples ditching the said venues. It's uh, ruthless out there. Lucky you got in when you did, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And Brian says, Colm is class, lads. More of him on the show. We have discovered Colm Bowie's burner account on YouTube. Uh, It's a guy called Brian. Good man, Brian. No, it's the best 50 euro I've spent in a long time. Uh, Brian, cheers for that. Nick Kyrgios was a 50 euro on Cameo as well, was he? Or well, I know the lads paid for it, I'm not a bit, sure. A bit more expensive than that. Two minutes past eight this morning here. We've got uh, Daniel Harris still to come. We're going to hear from uh, David Clifford and Dara Moynihan. Uh, we're also going to hear from Gerard Hegarty. So it is a star-studded show for you this morning. Stay tuned. OTB AM. Yeah, so OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, Colm is with us, our resident Manchester United fan. Um, should, should Randick just stop now and walk away? Like... I don't know, like, we've talked about this a few times now. Yeah, I must be one of the few United fans who kind of, um, I suppose the word is appreciate the Ragnick era in that at least he's coming in and delivering some home truths about the players. It hasn't gone well, like, he's a very low win percentage, so do, not scoring goals, but we're not conceding as many goals as we did do, under Solskjaer. Do Gen Z like home truths? It, it appears like they don't. Well, I hate to, it's I hate not to, even that, you know. though. I mean, Pep and Klopp would deliver home shoots every day, I imagine, to their players. It's more the fact that Ragnick talks about his squad as if he's still a pundit and not their manager. I get that vibe in the post-match uh, interviews. Not that he's uh, separating himself from what's happening at the club, but more just um, giving, you know, probably overly candid assessments of where he thinks his players and team are at overall. But I kind of, I really actually like him. But I, I, the problem is I don't think the players do or they don't buy into his methodology. And I think the Everton game, despite it being a close scoreline, was, I would say, maybe the nadir of the Ragnick era. I'm trying to think at the top of my head if there was anything worse than that. There was the one that defeated home to Wolves start of the year. Do you pine for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer now, thinking? Absolutely not. And I heard... Um, was that you who said it to Owen yesterday? Oh yeah, you were saying to Owen yesterday. I was in the box there and I was waving to you frantically. To be, what do you mean? You were like, do, uh, to be underage, Solskjaer. Mm. Owen immediately agreed. Well, it's just that... Yeah, um, an Arsenal fan, I suppose. W- makes sense. Would it be as bad now? Would it be? Could it be any worse? Yeah, well, do you see the scorelines at the end of the Solskjaer tenure? I mean, the one thing you, could de- you can't argue with Ragnick is that we're not getting beaten 4-5. or five. But... It's yeah, we're not we're not attacking as well, and we're not scoring goals freely. But I think the Everton game was the first time we didn't score under Ragnick. But the problem is that United are scoring you know one to two goals a game uh, at best. Two, I mean, if we score three, it's a big deal. And the players just don't really seem to. Well, into it, there's, a, there's like a lethargy there. There's a kind of a testimonial feel to the way we go about business. And then you see someone as talented as Jaden Sancho, who finally played in the right wing against uh, Everton, which a lot of fans were pining for. Um, was pretty much anonymous and then switched to the left and was slightly better where he has played a lot of good football as well um, I, I said to he, yourself and Owen jeez it must have been six weeks ago now where it kind of feels like the last few weeks of the leaving start you know, the, and there's a real purgatory sense now that we're waiting for this possible confirmation of Eric Ten Hag or maybe not Daniel Harris is with us good morning to you Daniel how are you? I'm good thanks how are you? Um, is, is Ten Hag now or whoever is coming next is that like 
the the only thing that can somehow puncture the end of this horrible season that it's like okay well this is now officially over and we can start thinking and planning for the future because it 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 does seem like it's a, an interminable purgatory end of days that is going to it's like a, a non-stop omnibus of Samuel Beckett <laughs> um yeah it's not it's not good is it um it's what's so baffling about this is that like we've all had we've all skived at work and the idea that footballers don't skive, shouldn't skive, never skive, is it's not really a sensible one. And I always use the same example to illustrate this one. Sometimes you watch a fight and one of the fighters gasses. And the punishment for gassing in a fight is extremely severe, obviously. You get hiding and people still do it. So that is a kind of testament and a tribute to human laziness, human desire to do less than the maximum. So you sort of understand it. If you can understand it at that level, and you have to understand it because it happens, then you can sort of understand it with footballers too. But what is weird and difficult to understand about these is that all, not all of them, but a lot of them are going to be around next season. Do they not want to play in the Champions League? If they'd have beaten, if they'd have beaten Everton and beaten Leicester and sensible effort in those games would probably have achieved that, then they'd have a pretty pretty decent chance of making top four, which is obviously now gone. And this has actually been one of Ralph Rank's problems is that the other teams going for top four are also so rubbish that United have been in the hunt all along. So he hasn't really been in a position where he could start experimenting because he's still got to pick the players that he thinks are better. And I guess... You get to that point where you think, well, the players that you keep picking, that keep failing, they're not better, so maybe you should pick some different ones. But the different ones available to him, there aren't that many of them because the ones who you think might make it, aren't. a lot of them aren't around, like James Garner's on loan, Ethan Laird's on loan, Dylan Levitt's on loan. So what options do you actually have apart from picking the players that you keep picking? You could take players who are even younger than those ones I just named, the ones that are in the youth team um, who are sort of 17, 18, 19, but tossing them into this isn't necessarily what you would call good management because usually what you want to do with young players is you want to slowly integrate them into a team that's performing. So I do understand the situation that Ralph Rannick finds himself in. It's not a good one. I'm sure he was absolutely horrified by what he found. And when you hear him speak, he seems to have as much disregard for the players as everybody else does. Well, let, let me let me just on that because like, is Randy getting a bit of a free pass here? If Antonio Conte had come in and had these same results, he'd be gone by now because people would have said, "Well, whatever it is that you have isn't working for these players." Like. Is, is Rennick just not also, he's not a good football manager. He might be a brilliant architect of a club and structural engineer when it comes to how the back end <laughs> of football should run, but he might just not be a very good manager. That's definitely true, and that could well be part of it, but there's significant differences between him and Antonio Conte in that Antonio Conte, I mean, part of it is to do with being a good manager. Antonio Conte has proved himself to be a good manager, so when he comes in, the player's more likely to do what he says, but also he's staying so there's a reason for the players to want to do what he says and want to impress them because if they don't do it, then they're gone. And Ralph Radig, that's not the same thing. The players know, and they've been doing this for years, some of them, that it doesn't matter if you don't like this manager, if you don't put in for this manager, because there'll be another one along in a minute. And so... Rannick, you'd think, should have some power because of the consultancy role, but he should have a dossier the size of the yellow pages that enables him to get tell the players that aren't that aren't performing to get rid of them 
but he doesn't have the same power that Antonio Conte has, and he doesn't have the same authority that Antonio Conte has either. And as I said, part of that is to do with probably not being as good as Antonio Conte, but also another part of it is to do with the fact that the circumstances are different. And Antonio Conte has a dressing room that has Harry Kane in it, for example, who's a serious professional, a leader, and he is able to... There's some, like he has more players, probably, who are able to take care of their own performances than Ralph Rangie does. That's, I mean, a damning indictment of everything that's happened at Manchester United over the last uh, decade or so. You know, you've got the England captain, you've got the greatest footballer of all time, or one of them, and there's a bunch of players in between, the highest-paid goalkeeper in world football. Like, you know, you would you would expect that a good manager would have been able to get more out of this current setup, irrespective of the the um, the characters of the players. That's true. But maybe maybe the interim thing was was always going to be the problem, and maybe no interim manager was going to come in and be able to, to do better than Ranić doing at the moment. I mean, we've seen it work before. We've seen it work at Chelsea with Gus Hiddink, but again, he had serious professionals in that squad who had, first of all, they knew what to do because Mourinho had coached them into what to do, and also you can't compare just in terms of professionalism intensity. You can't compare what you've got, United have got. To, Frank Lampard, Didier Drogba, John Terry, Ricardo Carvalho, to those players. And what I was saying before about Skype at work, I guess there is another side to that. That, I don't know, like, if you're a public servant, let's say, like my dad was a teacher, he worked his ass off, and he worked a lot harder than people in the private sector that we knew. And it wasn't because... It, was, it wasn't because he, he was getting paid enough money to force him to do it. It's because he felt a sense of civic responsibility. He felt a sense of civic pride to earn his money and to do what he was doing because it made people happy and it helped people. And I think that this is something that definitely seems to be lost on a lot of this bunch of players, that they're not, they don't, they're not really bothered by the bigger picture, that people are putting their hard earns to come and watch them play. Okay. And they... Uh, one of the one of the consequences of that will be that the new manager coming in is actually going to have to clear out most of those players because they are of the wrong character. And I, I, again, it's not to give Ranić a free pass, right? It's to say no, that- no, definitely not. Like, he hasn't. I thought he would do a better job than he has. And when I look at it, I think, well, I blame the players for most of it because these players got are they going to Solskjaer fired as well? Some of them got Louis van Gaal fired and Jason Mourinho fired. So and these, that's, that's a pattern. These players are not going to change. That, like, if, if as you say, it is a pattern. So, if you're Ten Hag, and, and I don't know if you've heard anything to the contrary about it not being Ten Hag at this point, it looks almost certain it'd be um, bizarre at this point if it wasn't him. But you know, stranger things have happened. He must be looking at that going. I'll definitely take a debrief for Maniac. I will definitely take that dossier and I will absolutely get them out the door as soon as possible. He he needs to come in and blow that squad up. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, well, that's that's sort of the, the subtext of what's being reported at the moment. That he's, the, 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 uh, Van Ten Hag is thinking about Leipzig and seeking assurances from United that he'll be able to do what he wants because other managers... Like United lost 4-0 at Everton in the first season of Solskjaer after it was good for a bit and then it went terrible for a while He and he said that most of these players won't be here next season and most of them were there next season and I doubt that was because Ole didn't want rid of them I mean I'm fairly sure he wanted rid of Pogba and Martial at that point but no, the, the club didn't sell them for him and so Ten Hag wants to know that if he comes in he'll be able to work and in order to be able to work it's not just a matter of we'll give you 150 million quid net or whatever for ingoings and outgoings. It's, you need to get rid of these players 
and they need to, and some of them they'll need to take a hit because they won't get the amount of money that they'd hope to get for those players. But it's not about that. It's about clearing out the squad to start again. And when you look at the United squad now, who'd you keep? I mean, Bruno Fernandes has signed and is also worth just the best player in the team. Jaden Sancho is worth keeping. Um, I would want to keep Marcus Rashford because I know that he can be good. And he was actually a bit better on Saturday. I mean, not, not saying much, but was a bit better. But the rest of them, I wouldn't mourn the loss of any of them. And I would celebrate the loss of almost all of them. And in order for Ten Hag to be able to come in and work, he needs players that will, that will work for him. And uh, he needs to, and I would, if I were him, I would also be wanting assurances. The problem is, is that it's like uh, Billy Connolly's old gag that if you want to be prime minister, that should automatically disqualify you from being prime minister if you're that kind of individual. If you believe what the Glazers tell you, then that should disqualify you from being manager of Man United because you can't believe what the Glazers tell you. Is Ten Hag your first choice out of the available candidates? I would say that anyone that purports to know the correct answer to this and be absolutely certain about this is someone to whom it's not worth listening about this or it probably... Well, your first choice. Your your preference. I don't know. I can make a case for Ten Hag. I can make a taste... I can make a case for Pochettino. I can make a case against Ten Hag and I can make a case against Pochettino. Mm. And I don't know what the answer is. It might be that both of them are good enough. It might be that neither of them are good enough. You're competing against the two best managers. I mean, in the first instance, you're just competing against the idiots in the squad before we even think about who the other teams are. But ultimately, you're trying to compete against uh, Guardiola and Klopp, who are the best managers of 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 this generation, who already have excellent settled squads. And it may be that there's no one in the world that can build a squad to challenge because those two blokes are the best. And they also have teams that are ready and Guardiola also has state wealth behind him. That is a lot to compete against. So if it turns out that neither of these two lads can do it, then that would not be altogether surprising. But to be, a- to be able to-, to think that you're in a position to say definitively, this one will do it and that one will not, there just isn't enough available evidence for that to be the case. So, I mean, I can say, I can say that I guess I find Ten Hag more interesting because he feels more like a coming man. We also just know less about him. And so I'm more interested in seeing maybe he can get to that level. Pochettino, I know, is excellent. And he has the charisma, the, a version of the charisma, not the same charisma, but everyone, every manager post-war who's had any success at United whatsoever, or got even proximate to success really, has had charisma. So obviously Ferguson and Busby had it, but Ron Atkinson had it and Dave Sexton didn't. Tommy Doherty had it and David Moyes didn't. Louis van Gaal and Jose Mourinho had it and uh, Oleg and Solskjaer didn't have it. So I know that Pochettino has that. Ten Hag, it's not clear that he does, although when you read about him, his players seem to love him, and maybe that's enough, and maybe the football itself could be that charisma. Yeah, yeah, I'd, but, I'd, I'd prefer the, the... like. Look, I, I get the point that you're making, is that the other all of the, the best managers in the world seem to have that charisma. And I wonder if that charisma, though, comes... If it's chicken and egg, that they start to get successful and they're like, actually, I can, I can now be somebody here as opposed to um, yeah, charisma like, defining the success. You look, at, you look at someone like Jurgen Klopp or you look at Alex Ferguson, you see him interviewed and it just, it, it comes to the screen. Like those guys, those, those guys didn't get charisma because they were good at football management. Their whole football management is based on their charisma. Guardiola's is more like that, that 
if he was just someone you met in the street, it wouldn't be obvious that he was a footballing savant that could that could change players' careers and think about the game in a different way to everybody else. I think Guardiola's charisma or his ability to get the players to do what he wants comes from the fact that they know that he'll make them a better player. Well, I, I, look, I, I definitely accept that that's important. The most important thing, though, is buying the right players and getting the right players through and coaching them well. To, to go back to Conte for a moment, right? we obviously keep a very close eye on the career of Matt Doherty. He's one of our best and most important players. And he was out the door, it looked like, at Spurs. Certainly the last two managers had not found a use for him at right wing back, which is his best position. Conte came in and took a while to get him in the team. But when he got in the team, he started playing his best football and he gave him confidence. It, just to go back to that point where you were saying you'd be happy if, if the vast majority of players left... Under a good manager, a load of those players would actually start playing good football again because they'd have a defined role, they'd be given confidence, they'd be allowed to make some mistakes, not many, but some, and progress would be fairly self-evident because the manager is good and knows what they're doing. But yeah, that, that's sort of the point though, isn't it? That That's sort of the aggravation with these players is we know that they can do better and they're not bothered enough themselves to do better then personally, I don't care if they have the benefit of a good manager to make them better because I don't feel they've done enough themselves. And then at that point, they're not people I particularly want wearing the shirt of the club that I support. Like, I don't feel attached to them because it should also come from within. There's a responsibility to yourself. There's a responsibility to the club that you're playing for. There's a responsibility to the supporters that are paying your wages to put it in. And if this was a one-off, where you'd say, well, Ole left, they couldn't find the manager, Rangnick didn't have the charisma to inspire them, blah, blah, blah. If it was just a one-off, then you might say, okay. But we've seen this before. They tossed it off under Mourinho. Some of the ones that were there tossed it off under Van Gaal. And it's gone on for so long that you get to a point where you, you might, I would happily say enough to almost all of them, that you had your chance to play for United. This is what you made of it. And now I'm happy for them to go somewhere else. If they go somewhere else, whatever. I don't, I, I don't really care too much. Whereas I think like someone like Matt Doherty, Matt Doherty wasn't getting picked because the managers didn't rate him. It wasn't a matter of Matt Doherty can't be asked. Matt Doherty is regularly playing in a team that is getting badly beaten by crap teams, by crap opponents. And you're seeing it again and again and again that there's a lack of effort, there's a lack of intensity, there's a lack of personality, there's a lack of commitment, there's a lack of ability to do the basics. People aren't really saying that about Matt Doherty no. in the way that... And, the, and that is exactly what we're all saying about this United squad. And so I, I understand the comparison, but I don't think I don't think it's an exact one. And I'm absolutely certain that a great manager could come in and get more out of these players. But that doesn't mean I'm forgetting that these players have tossed it off yet again. And for that reason, I think that the privilege of playing for Man United is not one that I would happily bestow on them again under a different manager. Okay, the fixture list is is. Uh, a mixture of good and bad between now and the end of the season. What What's realistic in, in terms of what you think is going to happen? Where will they finish? And would it actually be better for them to finish out of the Europa League? Does it matter if, if or is it better if they are in the Europa League so that there's something to aim for from a cup perspective next season? What's your... I think, I think financially it's worth being in the Europa League. I'm sure the board will want them to be in the Europa League. What you then do when you're in it different question maybe you just maybe you just play the youth team like the, the, the early stages of the Europa League is some of the most depressing football you'll see um, however for people that travel away definitely whilst they might appreciate a fallow year an opportunity like if you're watching United if you're watching United in Europe then you just want to go and have 
times in Europe with your mates and you might, especially if, and if you're in a conference league, you're getting some places you've never even heard of, never mind places that you've never been before. So there's also that. that uh, there's also, I think we might have talked about this recently, that I remember the first season of Van Gaal, United weren't in Europe and then they got knocked out by MK Dons in the, fir- in the, in the right first round of the, whatever, of the uh, League Cup. And there was almost no football in the first half of the season. So I guess as a supporter, although watching United now feels like a punishment, is a punishment, um, it's quite depressing if you're used to playing twice a week that suddenly there's half the football to enjoy. But that might be good for Ten Hag because it means, or, or Pochettino, that means you've got a lot more time on the training pitch to actually drill what you want your team to do because you're not constantly preparing for a game. So I guess if you're asking me, I'd probably take, I'd probably reluctantly take Europa League because ultimately I like watching United play. Um, but Conference League, I guess at that point, you, you wouldn't send any of your players to try and play in the Conference League. I mean, that would be, I mean, it's just an embarrassment for being in that really for a team, not for everyone, but for a team of United stature, oh, yeah. a team of the quality that United have. Like, I mean, that's yeah, just like shame, shame on the players. So I think... I would make them play every game. That's it. You're right. It's shame on you. And that's why you are going. And you're going to play every single minute of every game. I'm not using any of my five subs. And you got us into this mess. Get us <laughs> out of it. So when, before the Everton game, I was thinking, because you say, like, what do I think will happen? Before the Everton game, I was just thinking, if you're Everton, United at home is the game you want. And that says it all. I mean, that should be humiliating for those players. But well, United at home... Norwich is the weekend. They're going to beat Norwich, right? We can say with confidence they're going to beat Norwich. They're on a good, run. They're on a good run of one. <clears throat> they beat Burnley. They did. United didn't, United didn't beat United Burnley. Beat Burnley. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Okay. Um, and the problem, as I said, is that it's not like what you would want at this point. I think most supporters are saying, well, play the, play the young players. And I think the problem is that there aren't that many young players to play because the good ones are just a little bit young. The under-23s, Alang has played and he went off the boil. It feels like if Rangnick thought that Hannibal Mabry, Hannibal Mabry was good enough, he would have played be playing him. by yeah. now. Oh, look, you want to be the one Ultimately. that takes the, gives the caps and you want to be Peter Taylor to he, David Beckham. He played Alanga. Yeah. He kept yeah. picking Alanga and because he obviously thought Alanga was up to it, he presumably doesn't okay. think that about Hannibal. And so that's, he, I mean, he was on the bench at Everton, but he brought on matter. We've got to go. But yeah, another another manager who was uh, giving one mad at game time uh, at Manchester United. Four managers later than we thought it would be, but that's the way it goes. Daniel, good stuff. Thanks a million. See you again, everyone. Have a good day. Daniel Harris Bye. giving us his thoughts there. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. The modern day Darren Anderton is Jack Wilshire, yeah. says uh, David Bosang. It's possible. Yeah. Um, is he, is he, Who's he playing for now? He's not even, not even modern day. Somewhere in, somewhere in Denmark. Arhus. In uh, Bodwe Trust says, well said, United hired an administrator instead of a manager and threw away season because of it. They need a total clear out of the players. Says Barry, Ranić should run like hell from United. Look at the confidence. It's on the ground. Too much sulking and player power, says Mark. Look at Rashford, his head is just gone. He wants out. Sam Maguire and seven more. It's simplistic to blame the manager, says Nigel, but it's also simplistic to just blame the players. Like, what happened? United were just unlucky to buy a bunch of lazy players. I mean, maybe. And maybe the culture when they got there was really toxic. And so, therefore... Um, it's it's this kind of perfect storm of shitness. Andrew says, Potch would keep the current players. Ten Hag wants to clean the place out. That's what the hold-up is with the contract negotiations. Manchester United board are scared of losing that power. Hashtag Ten Hag in. Yeah. Is, is Antonio Conte the great, the, the one that wriggled off the hook and you're like, oh, I can't believe it's happened again. Because yeah, they, yeah. they could have. He could be back. 
Uh, he might not stay at Spurs that long. But the problem, you see, like Daniel wasn't excited about any particular manager there because it's hard to be because... Like what? What even is success? Like what constitutes success for United in the next twelve in months? The league, can, no, no, but can, no, no, but next, but next imagining imagining well, what actually happens. How would they make it successful? Okay, a, a complete how? reboot of that squad. Improvement in players it takes a long time. Darty esque improvement. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. Reboot means loads out and loads in. Well, uh, five out and two in is what Spurs did in the last transfer window, and they've gone from being completely useless to having uh, the third most points since. Uh, Conte took over yeah, uh, behind the top two teams yeah. so that would be success five out two in change the culture and let's go let's start it the process started it doesn't take forever yeah. especially when you have come from the, the players oh they're unhappy with the uh, Hag's training methods and we're back again off you go we're back again so what players leaking off you go you're, you're the next five against the wall in the next transfer window. Thank you. I don't, Why not? Like, I mean, that sounds great That's and Spurs everything, did. but I can't see that happening. When? when? Spurs spent, um, they'd, they'd spent 30 million on Brian Heal and he was like, barely played a game for them. Off you go. Off you go. No, you're on loan. Yeah, Off you yeah, go. Conte's done great there with getting Delhi out and then Bentancur and Kulisevsky. Brilliant signings, yeah. And Conte knew them from Italy and brought them over. And Ten Hag, I, I wish Ten Hag really well. I hope it goes very well for him. I'm just finding it really difficult to imagine him being successful and it's nothing to do with him. I just, it's going to take so long for this to turn around again. They've got so much money. They've got so much money that they can... Not much sense though. Well, that's the problem. That is the issue. Right. Over the weekend, Owen caught up with Kerry stars Dara Moynihan and David Clifford to help launch the Rockshore Killarney Sevens. It's a Gaelic football seven-a-side tournament that Spa GA Club are organising over the June bank holiday weekend. 20 men's and ladies' teams from all over the country will do battle to win a share of the 10 grand prize pool with a wide array of musical acts playing all weekend in the Rockshore tent. In addition, there will be a food corner and kids' corner ensuring there is someone something for everyone. Tickets can be bought on killarneyclub7s.ie. That's the number seven. KillarneyClub7s.ie We'll post the full chat with the lads in the OTB GA podcast feed later today. We're jumping in here with Owen chatting to Dara and David about their underage soccer days together. Uh, when you chart through your underage um, years, just to, to stick with this for a moment, there's obviously a load of very interesting things here. David, yourself, I think this kind of brought up uh, got brought up last year when, when you scored that goal against Galway quite a bit, just your, your own soccer background. Uh, obviously, the, the, when you go back and, and look at it, the, the Kennedy Cup of, of 2013, I think it was, was an interesting one. When you look at the names that were playing in the Kennedy Cup on, on the national scene, as well as in the Kerry scene, I think Dermot O'Connor was on, on that Kennedy Cup team with you and there was a real correlation between, and there always is, between the, the good GEA players in Kerry and, and those that make that team. Uh, yeah, um, I, we would have played a lot of soccer. We both played with Clarny Celtic. Um, I was actually I, I got injured just before the Kennedy Cup, so Dermot O'Connor took my place as as right. centre half for, for the for the tournament. Um, but I played I played a few games here and there. We we had Reno Sullivan was our main man who would have went across the water to Brighton in the, in the few in the years or so after um, after the Kennedy Cup. Uh, so he 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 carried us on, on his back to be fair to him. Right, and so like at that point you're obviously gunning to be starting centre back for Kerry. And what, what was it? A last minute injury that that pulls you out of it? Uh, yeah, it was just just a few weeks before. I think yeah, it was only a minor injury, but it just, just came at the wrong time. Right, uh, Dara, how close did you come to making Kennedy Cup? I was a bit off a note, to be honest. <laughs> I, was, I was I was kind of like a Trent Alexander right back. He was kind of like a Harry Maguire centre back, you know, but he was even taller. That's why I was bigger. <laughs> uh, so you're you're bobbing forward constantly, Dara. I uh, no, I was 
now he's a bit off now making the kidney cup now to be honest but yeah I can't remember how they did that year I think Stefan on that team I think actually I think he was centre mid or something who, who was? Stefan Nakumber that oh, team yeah. yeah not sure who else was on honest I can't really remember I think that year as well, you had Craig Casey playing for Limerick and you had Darrow O'Shea playing for, for the DDSL that year as well. So it's a, it's a, it's a fairly random year with, with some of these names that when you look back 10 years later, it's incredible. Like the, to kind of stick with that again, David, one of the other things that gets brought up when, when your soccer background is mentioned is a game, and I'm not sure were you playing in this one, Dara, but a game for the SEM against Cala Sanchez College in 2014 and Aaron Connolly was playing for, for the Galway team that day. Yeah, uh, no, that was the that was we'll say my own age. So that was the age below there. But uh, right, we, we actually won the. I said we won the other in that year. I think we were under fifteen. Um, yeah, I think, but again, Connolly was the year below us, so we had a bit of size advantage on him. So we won't read too much. But what was he like to play against at that point? Uh, yeah, he was good at the time. I suppose like that. You, you there, 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 there's so much talk about fellas at that age. I think he, we 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 would have known about him, right? Um, he was good. He was lively. Yeah, but I. Uh, we, I think we won the game four or five nil, so he was he wasn't he wasn't a major factor. I don't think it's it's incredible, really. I think he did score though, did he in that game? Maybe he did. So yeah, because <laughs> yeah. it was a five one. There's something on there's something on the same website anyway that I got sent a while ago. I think Conley did get one, but okay. um, but that was it. Five one, I think, was the full time scoreline yeah. against Aaron Conley. Like, was there ever a point, David, where where um, going to England or, or professional contract was going to be up for grabs for you? Uh, I don't think so. I, I, I wouldn't have been good enough. Like I was right. a decent enough centre half, but I'm sure it, I, we had, we played enough soccer at a high enough level where if if we were good enough, we would have been spotted. I think we got to the art team at Clarny Celtic. This is when well, it's Dara's age, so the age above me. We 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 got to the quarter final of the national cup. We lost to Cherry Orchard one year. Um, we were we were able to play at a high level. Do you know what I mean? But if we were good enough, we probably would have been spotted. And how come you were a centre back and you were a corner forward in football? Um, I'm not sure. I don't know where that, I was. I, I kind of started off as left back. Um, I suppose it was a lot of maybe it was down to the size. Um, maybe I wasn't good enough for my feet or up the field. <laughs> uh, were you in the same class in school? You were. We were yeah. the same year. Yeah. Same year. Yeah. 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 What was because having gone to the same as well those um, PE sessions when you get let play indoor soccer are pretty interesting. What was that like for you? An absolute hacking session it was. <laughs> Go on, explain that one. Uh, I just had, after for sure trying to ref the games, it was just non-existent. <laughs> Arthur Fitzgerald, of course, the current SNC coach of the Kerry senior team, uh, is he's still a teacher in the semi, I think, is he? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, right. Um and what, what? But obviously, like I mean, he—it's not necessarily his fault. It's the players that are that are in the, the court at that point. So, so like, was there a beef there? Was there rivalry? How come it kind of broke out into a hacking session? The, the issue with it was we it was we, we used to bring gear, so you used to have to play in your socks, um, <laughs> and sure you couldn't keep your feet. So there was tackles coming in from all angles, and it used to be murder, murder. <laughs> And were you were you like a tidy right back during those indoor soccer games there, or did you try and get into the mix? Well, I was a striker then. I was like Carlos Tevez. And <laughs> <laughs> where did you play, David? Yeah, I was, I'd say I was a centre mid in those games. Right, Just pick, picking yeah. the pass in indoor soccer—not an easy thing to do. No, exactly. 
Geez, that's playing indoor soccer in your socks. I'd say your Kerry development coaches wouldn't have been overly happy to have heard news of that. That's a, that's that's like playing on an ice rink. Yeah, it was dodgy, right? There was a, there was a few injuries picked up for the fellas that missed games a few weeks after, especially in the time of the Hogan Cup. You used to go on that, but uh, it was it was it was good fun. It toughened you up a small bit, I'd imagine. Those those kind of Art of Fitzgerald just refusing to referee the game. That would yeah, you get a bit in then after if he wasn't <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lads I must ask you about the, the season so far it's obviously been a, a pretty successful one uh, Dara just starting with yourself I mean one of the moments at the league from your perspective I'd imagine was that goal against Dublin in Tralee how much of a, a focus has that been for you this year uh, trying to get back on not get back on the score sheet but adding more scores to, to your game and getting goals especially on top of that yeah I suppose like the management said it to me like you need to get on the score sheet more like really John like whatever about doing everything else, like you need to make an impression on the scoreboard as well. So I'm trying to do that as much as I can. And look, the league was obviously successful for us, but we just have to park that now and focus on the rest of the year. But it was a good league, to be fair. I actually ask you about your first year uh, coming into the Kerry panel because you, you came in, in in 2019 and I think you basically started every game. Once you kind of started one, you were, you were in the team. How easily uh, did you step up or how difficult was it given the physicality the fitness the reading of the game that's needed in the half forward line in the modern game uh, well I suppose like the first two sessions no, it, it's, it was tough to be fair like like stepping up from under 20 and even club training like or district training like there's just a different intensity to like tackles are harder the pace is faster coming in marking the likes of Paul Murphy and these fellas at the first session like so it was very tough but you just get used to it really after a couple of sh- sessions, really. And then I remember the first game, the league debut, I wasn't even supposed to be starting, but Peter just told me then, when we were at the pre-match meal, that I'd be starting. Right. So I suppose I was kind of nervous then, and just, I don't know, it was just with my left day, to be fair. And what was the, the, the biggest thing about that first game, once you actually get into game mode, once you go beyond training, that, that you noticed about the step up to senior football? The physicality, really. You know, like some fella pulling off you the whole time. Not get much time on the ball and you don't have much time to think and stuff. I suppose the tackles are harder as well. But you just, I suppose, like that's where the strength and conditioning comes into then as well, on top of it. So you just get used to it. How long does it take to get to get used to it? Does does it take you a season or two? I suppose it does really, like, but like it's it's different for everyone, really. So can't really yeah. put a time limit on it. Yeah, no, I can imagine. Uh, David, you were obviously in a year before that, you were in. In 2018, obviously one of the, the high points of that year was was Clonus, the last minute goal. I'm just interested in the makeup of that goal because it's James Dunhu with a big ball into the full forward line. Donahue knocks it down for you back at the net. Almost three different generations of, of forward in that team, in that one goal. How much did he learn from the two lads that year? Uh, yeah, a massive amount. Um, like that, I suppose I, I was... Um, now, when I came in, neither of them would have played a whole pile of football in the league. Um they were both in nursing injuries but when they were able to come back in um, you were just trying to I suppose act as a sponge and trying to take in as much as you can from them um, like each of them are in, in, in either carry forwards I suppose are always very willing to, to share their knowledge even and even even if it's not through, through talking if it's just through watching them uh, there was always a lot to be learned What would have been the big thing you learned from them? Um, yeah, like I suppose different things. Um, a lot of the stuff from Danny he would have been just around the I suppose how you carry yourself and and how you uh, I suppose how you maybe behave on the pitch. Um, 
and then different stuff I suppose from James just in you know just around kicking and uh, just movement really I suppose in and around the top of the D and stuff like that um, so again I suppose hard to pinpoint stuff but there, there's, there's a lot of stuff there that, that's the real thing because like James Dunahoo is, is doing our, our football pod with Tommy and Paddy this year and some of the nuggets that we're getting on the podcast already really it's exactly as you said there it's the movement that seems to be his thing and he'd be talking a lot to even like the, the half forwards in terms of the exact sort of pass that you want as a corner forward yeah yeah that's definitely a factor I think that probably comes with with time it's it's very hard to build those relationships when you know you're you're so focused on maybe making the team, not making the team um when when the team gets a bit more a bit more settled I suppose you can you can start building those relationships then with the players around you which which is massive and when you talk about Donaghy giving you the information about how you should carry yourself in the fields, like the man is just a, a born winner. He doesn't back down whatsoever. He, he definitely brought that edge to Kerry in the mid-2000s that was absolutely essential at that time, it seemed. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, like you said, I suppose he, he never backed down from anything, but always carried himself in, in the right way too, which, which is a big thing. Uh, Dara, just in terms of the, the change of management this year, has that led to a change in role for you at all this year or, or is your work essentially the same and it's just about building on the last couple of years? Uh, I, just, I don't think it's changed that much now, to be honest. Uh, I suppose Jack's just focusing more on getting the ball and kicking the ball into full forward and really as much as possible. You know, getting the one-on-ones really is a big factor like for us. So I suppose the wing forward role doesn't really change much really. So working hard, getting on the brakes, moving the ball forward like so no, I don't think it's changed that much. And are you enjoying your football more this year? Um, I mean, like, this is, like you'd enjoy it like any time you play for Kerry. Sure. You'd enjoy it really, like, but this year so far, it's been very enjoyable now, to be honest. Yeah, getting back out in front of a full Croke Park the last day, I'm sure, uh, didn't harm that any bit. Uh, David, obviously, the, the day out against Mayo was an interesting one. Did you find, like uh, uh, Dara mentioned there, the getting into one-on-one situations in the full forward line, did you find that those opportunities presented themselves easier to you in Croke Park than they did against Tralee against Mayo? Did you find that you were in one-on-one situations more that day? Uh, possibly. I suppose the weather had something to do with that too, maybe. Um, but yeah, I suppose maybe we did get a few more for our one-on-one situations. But um, you know, every day is different. You know, you can't probably read a whole, a whole pile into into any game like that. Yeah, I have to ask what the Portugal horror say. Uh, not much. Not much. <laughs> So much. <laughs> so uh, yeah, was it was it good? Was it bad? Was it uh, was it was it something that made you think I need to I need to notch up a few scores here? I know. To be fair, there wasn't a whole pile. No, it was it was, it was, right. it was a good battle. There wasn't a whole pile in it. Okay, fair enough. Um, in general, then on that on that point, how much has certain moments in your uh, senior career so far? Uh, I, I guess developed you mentally uh, on that front. I mean, th- there's obviously the, the famous example in in Eden Dork where the referee sends you off after Tyrone lads are, are talking in your ear. Have you got used to that? Basically, the the, the yapping from a back, which is obviously part and parcel of the game. Uh, yeah, it, it is. It's part and parcel of it. Exactly. Like you, you just can't react. I suppose the feeling you get of being sent off, whether you're rightly or wrongly sent off for reacting, is it's just it's the worst feeling you can have. Like you just feel like you've left everyone down. So. Uh, I don't uh, don't want to don't want to experience that again. So are, are you're basically thinking about that in that moment, trying to yeah. restrain yourself, thinking that could be the worst outcome here. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, Dar, what about yourself? Is that that a, anything you battle with at the moment in terms of yapping with your man at all? It's, I'd say you probably are up and down the pitch too much for that to happen. Are you? I don't get as much attention as him. No, no, no. no. <laughs> but it'll be the after words sometimes. Not much, no. 
Uh, lads, great to chat to you. Just a reminder that once again, we're here today to mark the launch of the Rockshore Killarney Club Sevens that'll be held this June Bank holiday weekend in Spa GEA Club Killarney. This promises to be a great weekend full of fun and excitement for people of any age and be sure not to miss out. If you want to get tickets for this, you can go to killarneyclubsevens.ie and that's the number seven in the middle of that website, killarneyclubsevens.ie. David Clifford, Darren Moynihan, thanks a million for your time. All the best. Cheers, Owen. Thank you. That's uh, our own Owen Sheehan, who, um, whose accent, de- accent definitely ratchets up to 10 on the carryometer, and of course, uh, delivering the correct pronunciation of Spa GA Club as well. Uh, really interesting stuff from the lads, um, the whole notion of uh, yapping, but also the fact that they're uh, soccer teammates and, and classmates. Um, that bit that James Dunne was talking about wanting a specific type of ball in and Galvin talking to him about making particular types of runs you can see the intellectual property of the carry forwards gets handed down the generations and they're the two two of the latest inheritors obviously with Shawnee O'Shea still in the mix as well and um, yeah who's going to stop them who is going to stop them this year and maybe next year and maybe for a while we'll see 8.43 this morning if you want to get in touch 087-9-180-180 is the WhatsApp number uh, OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day uh, Manchester United should take a leaf out of Liverpool's structure if a player tries to start BS he's gone there's no player power at Liverpool and not overrated overpaid jokers and Klopp buys at great prices I can't tell if Mark's an angry Manchester United fan or a gloating Liverpool fan uh, Dennis says it's not easy to get rid of players in big contracts also who wants to buy failures well then you've just got to pay them up and move them on like they let Alexis Sanchez think the joint out for too long and then he left and there was a bit of an improvement and some of the young players started to step up and improve and the same is going to happen if you buy if you buy correctly JP says the players will perform given the right culture from top to bottom they have no fear or sense of repercussion anymore a new manager isn't going to change that too many past players involved are there really too many past players involved? Like, there's really only Fletcher at this stage who has any kind of say in the uh, running of the club and anybody who's ever spoken to Darren Fletcher rates his football knowledge very highly and he doesn't seem to be somebody who has taken for granted any of the um, the situations that he finds himself in and clearly wants to get the club back to where they're going. So, I don't know, I think you should probably be keeping him involved we'll get to Willa Callan in a moment when Gerard Hegarty is going to join us in about five minutes time uh, very quickly from the newspapers this is interesting right back page of the Irish Independent new park set for record attendance opening Munster round robin between Cork and Limerick to draw a crowd of 40,000 the All-Ireland final repeats could draw 40,000 to Leaside based on early ticket sales and projections that would be in excess of the 34,000 that were in the park when the sides met there in the 2018 round robin so this is the round robin delivering crowds of 34 to 40,000. Again, evidence that Proposal B, when it was shouted down and when the maths was done to suggest that this would actually be a, a massive financial step forward for the entire GAA, when that was shouted down, it was done on the basis of attendances at league matches as opposed to attendances at championship round robin games where we're seeing record crowds will go to championship round robin games when sides of equal standing are up against each other with Jeopardy. You just have to go back and look at who voted down Proposal B and why they voted down Proposal B to look at the vested interests that are holding the GEA back. But this is evidence that the maths that were done were correct at the time and that the suggestion that this could be a huge financial step forward and that there is greater interest in these games than there are in league matches 
uh, remember that was all oh you can't that, you can't compare those you can't make those figures up these league matches will be the same it's like they won't there's going to be uh, more people going to the games because everybody understands that this is the competition that we're all going for uh, Sam Maguire in and in that case uh, in this one it's Liam McCarthy but if it was the Sam Maguire that everybody was playing those games in there would be bigger crowds and that's what would have happened uh, one last thing that I just want to do from the papers if, if any other footballer in the world had done this you'd be like oh that's very cynical isn't it he's looking for a contract from McDonald's Kevin De Bruyne I'm loving it happy meal run has City Ace eyeing tasty title fight he brought his two boys or maybe it's a boy and a girl I'm not sure his kids anyway to um, McDonald's for a happy meal it's an excuse for the son to re- reel out their uh, wheel out their fast food 11 West Hamburger United I promise you the manager's name a little earlier on the manager is Mick Big Mac McCarthy Mick Big McCarthy Willow Callahan good morning to you morning lads how you going on I know you don't like this kind of stuff that's why I brought you on to talk to you about this but about I, McDonald's a fast, 11 a fast food 11 right so there's some right, some cool. of them aren't so great but Zinger Dean Zidane that's the Zinger Tower Burger they're talking about right Colonel that's Dean not, that was not bad Colonel Dean Saunders good very KFC team here McFlurry Kane. <laughs> does McFlurry even like does McFlurry even really properly rhyme with Harry? Celestine Cababiaro. Yeah, okay, can have that one. But the one that I'm writing down, building up to, right? So there's Mar- uh, Philly or Mark Fish, which yeah, okay, fair enough. There's a, a <laughs> Dean Gherkin is the goalkeeper. Uh, who's that? Who's that? D- who's Dean Gherkin? Uh, okay, I don't, I don't get that one. I'm not sure. It, it's breaking down here really quickly. Christian Benteke fried chicken, not, not great. James Happy, yeah, okay. James Happy Milner. But the winner is Emerson Royale with cheese. It's a Pulp oh. Fiction reference. That was the whole point of it, and it worked. That was superb. If, well, uh, if Emerson, Emerson Royale ever ends up playing in League One, that's will have to become his nickname. I, I mean, it's, it is. Um, look, I'm a sucker for the. Pulp Fiction references that was the whole point of that Will how are you what's going on yeah I'm not too bad so obviously we're looking forward to the big game this evening uh, Gerard difficult one for Vera Powell's side the Republic of Ireland and Gothenburg to take on Sweden we'll have full live commentary on the OTB Sports radio stream which you can pick up on the OTB Sport app later on and we'll also bring coverage on the radio when we get underway at 7pm but Vera Powell is in a difficult situation defensively probably means a change in shape as the prediction at the moment centre half Savannah McCarthy and Diane Caldwell both out through injury while Megan Campbell is out with a knee issue she's gone back to her club Liverpool Claire Walsh could come into defence alongside Nee Fahey and Louise Quinn or it could mean a switch from the five at the back in recent games back to a flat back four third place Finland got a much easier game than Ireland this evening in the race for the playoff spot uh, for next year's World Cup they take on the basement side Georgia in the other game in Ireland's group and Georgia have conceded some 35 goals in their five games so far in Group A the Republic of Ireland's under 19s up against Greece in their final European Championship qualifier this afternoon 2pm kickoff in Ostrava for that one Ireland can't qualify Champions League tonight Chelsea's defence uh, could come to an end in Spain the holders are 3-1 down going into their game at the Bernabeu against Real Madrid Romelu Lukaku definitely out with an Achilles issue for Chelsea one wonders Jeff, he was going to start anyway Romelu Lukaku in wonderful form for Real Madrid top scorer in La Liga this season enjoying the autumn of his career and he scored back-to-back hat-tricks in the Champions League against Paris Saint-Germain and Chelsea including that 3-1 win at Stamford Bridge last week 
You've got the German Giants, Bayern Munich, in action too. They also face an uphill task to qualify, but you remember that they went to absolute town on Salzburg in the last round in the home leg. They take on Villarreal, yeah. uh, the Europa League winners of last season, and both those games at 8pm. Uh, Bayern Munich 1-0 down going into that second it'd, leg. It'd be a shock if Villarreal won, but it wouldn't be a shock in one of those kind of like... Oh, they're they're going to let Bayern Munich out of the tournament uh, scenarios. No, I'm not suggesting yeah. any gross conspiracy or anything, but the big teams always get the big decisions in these games, don't they? Yeah, well, look, Bayern Munich have been in fairly different form and could have conceded another couple of goals in Valencia last week when they played against Villarreal. It, like, it's remarkable to have a town which is the size of Waterford playing in the quarterfinals of the Champions League and in there is the Europa League winners from last season. Una Emery has just shown what a good coach he is in knockout football in Europe because you look through that Villarreal starting team and there are so many what I would call Premier League misfits that are involved in the team, like Francis Coquelin. Alberto Moreno is injured at the moment. You've got Jamina, who scored the goal last week, was playing in the Championship with Bournemouth last season. Uh, You've got just a host of players who were discarded by bigger European teams, have been brought together at Villarreal, won themselves the Europa League last season to qualify for the Champions League, had a pretty good season in Spain. It is a big ask to go and beat Bayern Munich. But one wonders where Robert Lewandowski's head is at, considering there's all the rumours in the German press today that he could potentially sign for Barcelona this summer. He's going into the last year of his contract. He's reportedly agreed a contract if Barcelona are willing to pay somewhere between 25 and 30 million euro this summer. And talk about not exactly ideal timing for Bayern Munich to have your star striker with his head potentially turned ahead of a huge European game. All right. It's not like Barcelona to sign uh, very expensive very old strikers oh wait that's exactly what they do at the moment uh, yeah they're trying to put Borussia Dortmund's team together it seems they've got Aubameyang they're trying to keep Dembele and trying to get Lewandowski so watch out Marco Royce and Subotic and Hummels maybe next right uh, it would certainly be the hipster's choice well we're going to leave it there for now thanks a million we might chat to you a little bit later on as well uh, reminder OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day Borgosh Energy Ambassador Grote Hegarty was at the launch of Borgosh Energy's The Gift of the Gab at Croke Park in Dublin yesterday The Gift of the Gab is a first of its kind talent show that will search Ireland to find the best amateur pundits and give them a platform to showcase their talents people of all ages from all parts of the country are encouraged to take part if you would like to find out more or you know someone who is hurling mad and has the gift of the gab, contact BGE at giftofthegab.ie. 2022 marks the sixth year of Borkosh Energy sponsorship of the GA Hurling All-Ireland Senior Championships. And I'm delighted to say Gerald Hegarty is with us this morning. Gerald, good morning to you. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, lads. Um, this is a, a talent show. Is, the, is that something that you guys get sucked into as fundraisers ever? Like a dancing on ice, dancing with the stars, uh, stars in their eyes type thing? Is there, are there any hidden talents among your teammates? Uh, oh, I'd say if, if behind the curtain, no, but inside the dressing room and stuff, if there was a, a fly in the wall documentary, you'd see things that you wouldn't think that you wouldn't believe. But uh, I know, look, the, the the gift of the gab this year is is a is a really interesting concept. You know, I thought the uh, the Gaga box last year was very, it was uh, it was just you know it's a bit of fun and it's, it's really it's really nice to watch. I love watching back the episodes and it was interesting that the the stars of the show were actually from Limerick to Tumi. So. Um, Look, I know plenty of hoarders on the ditch down here that, that, that think they know it all in terms of GA punditry. So it'll be interesting to see where the top pundits come from this year, you know. So be a bit of fun anyway and look forward to seeing it, uh, what happens over the next few weeks. Are you telling us that there are some like secret rappers, secret singers? Who's the best Who's the best crooner in the Limerick team at the moment? <laughs> oh, God. Um, I'd, say, I'd say, honestly, you know, Pat Ryan, when he... When he decides to hang up the boots I'd say there's a show there's 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 a job out there uh, 
in, in comedy for him or something along those lines. I don't know. I don't know what you could say about him, but he's he, he's an entertainer. That's all I'll say. Um, I'm I'm always interested, right? Because we, we we've been listening to uh, Paddy Andrews on the podcast now for the last couple of years, talking about the Dubs and and how they kept the show on the road, and just how self motivated as a group they were. And likewise with Tommy Walsh over the last couple of years, we've kind of got to know what the ins of that the inside of that dressing room was like a little bit. For you guys, you know, I'm reading you in the papers today, and you're talking about the 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 unload criticism didn't didn't kind of breach your inner sanctum in, in any way, in any meaningful way. And I'm always interested in that because everywhere you go, people will be telling you what people have said about you. Um, but and 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 likewise, you'll be like, look, it, it makes no difference. Tommy Walsh and uh, Paddy Andrews would say exactly the same thing that nothing actually mattered, nothing seemed to penetrate. How do you do that? How, how do you get to a point where something happens in the Sunday game, friends WhatsApp it to you? And it doesn't matter. How do you actually get to the point where stuff like this, you are impenetrable or impervious to it? I suppose it is a good question, but um, I suppose when we're when we're together, like when we go to training, like we we it's funny we never actually talk about hurling, you know, outside of training. You know, when we go anytime we we go away together, whether it be you know holidays in the off season or going to games or anything like that, like. Nobody ever talks about hurling on the bus, or nobody ever talks about hurling when we're away. You know, we, we're just we're a group of friends that you know we've been we've been through a lot over the last number of years, and you know, you know there's going to be criticisms coming from from outside the camp, but we we don't really you know as I said we don't really uh, we don't really care I suppose, or we don't really hold um, you know you don't really you don't really mind what people say outside the camp. All you want to do is you want to make sure that your teammates and and the, the management I suppose are. Uh, happy with your with your commitment and your how you're training, I suppose, and that's all, and that's all that does matter. Because you know, at the end of the day, there is going to be plenty of naysayers out there, and if you were to listen to them, you know, you probably will get nowhere. So uh, you just got to you got to listen to those that you trust the most. And where does the motivation come from? Because the other thing that um, keeps getting spoken about, particularly in GA terms, and it always feels a little bit lazy to me, is hunger. The team with the most hunger is going to win, and it's not really true. It's the team with the best preparation the best tactical outlook, the best skill on the day, the best calmness under pressure. None of this is actually like a completely intangible thing. It's like, have you put the work in uh, and do you have the players to deliver the plan when it comes down to the last few minutes of ultimate pressure? Generally, hunger is actually something that's going to make you make a bad decision because you're you're trying too hard. Yeah, well, the motivation definitely doesn't come from outside. Like, as I say, we don't we don't listen to, you know, whether it be good or, or bad praise that we get or, or good or good praise or bad publicity. We don't, like, we don't necessarily, we never discuss anything that happens outside our camp. You know, we, the motivation comes from within. I suppose we trust, I've, I've, I've often said it, we trust, you know, that we have some serious guys over us and, um, you know, we're trusting in Paul Canucks training and the other, and the other selectors there in, in terms of they'll have us prepared as best we can and, and that's all you can do. You know, you can't worry about what other people are thinking about you. You just have to focus on your own preparation, make sure that you're uh, prepared as best you can and, and see what happens. And so where does your motivation come from? My motivation comes from, it's always been the same. It's never changed. Just getting the most out of myself. You know, it's just trusting in myself and, you know, asking myself, I suppose, I always kind of ask myself the question before a championship, have I trained as hard as I can? Have I prepared as best I can? And if you can honestly tick those boxes and say, yes, you can, but then you know you're as you're as best prepared as you can, and whatever happens then after it happens, you know. In terms of, I often say, you know, it's sometimes hard to go <clears throat> look for look for advice or look for help, and and admit that you have weak areas in whatever whatever area it may be. And 
going to whether it be the sports psychologist or going to the trainer or going to one of the, the management or, or the statsman and and looking for advice or looking for ways to improve um i always feel is is a very uh beneficial thing to do you know in the lead up to championship and and throughout the championship and try just and be the best you can be you know just improve on your weaknesses and keep keep your strengths as strong as they can be and as i said see what happens after that once you can once you can honestly say it to yourself look in the mirror and say i'm as best prepared as i can well then you can't have any excuses when you look back over the success over the last couple of years were there pivotal moments in the season where you could pinpoint that things are going well or things are going badly and something needs to change or is it actually not really that's not really how life works when you're in a moment all you can do is take that moment and try and uh, stretch it and make it as elastic as possible so that uh, if it's a good moment that's great and if it's a bad moment you, you move past it I guess what I'm what I'm asking is is there a pattern that you can discern in retrospect in the years that were successful and in even some of the build up years where you were less successful um, I suppose that's a, a fairly deep question, but um, like there's always going to be there's always going to be positive moments and negative moments, even within a game. You know, even within our even within our our best games that we played over the last number of years, you know, we'd always analyze every game and we'd look back in games, and you're never going to have a perfect seventy minutes or whatever. You know, there's always going to be plenty of areas to improve on it, and and like that's all you can do. You know, just as I said, try improve your weaknesses and and keep your strengths as as good as possible. But like. I was even talking yesterday uh, at the launch for the gift of the gab that uh, a couple of a couple of reporters asked me about the league this year it hasn't been super and things like that. But like, you know, the league has taught us so much this year because we have had a kind of a, a, an up and down league. You know what I mean? We have had had we've had probably more yeah so called negatives than positives in the league this year. But like the amount of learnings we've taken from the league this year have been incredible. You know, we might have learned more from this year's league than we have from any league in the last number of years or maybe any championship in the last number of years you know so you you can look at everything I always say you can look at everything positively or negatively you know you know when anything happens you can you can look on the bright side you can look on the, on, on the negative side and as I said we've had a, an up and down league and you know people people were kind of I suppose losing their head a small but outside the camp not necessarily inside the camp outside the camp they were you know saying this and that about us but um as I said, we've taken a lot of learnings from it and hopefully we can put those learnings into into the into use over the next couple of weeks and months. Was it that different from last year's league? Like there was a it it felt from the outside again, we have no clue what's going on, but it felt like you were a bit narky as a group last year in the league, that there was definitely there was a scrappy league and all that scrapping disappeared from the championship matches. I'm not saying that the there was a it, I don't I think again, I think we always classify this as intensity, but actually um it was almost like you put your intensity into the hurling specifically in the championship last year. But there was a scrap there was definitely like you were getting caught into fights um, as as a group last year in the league, and it felt like this year wasn't that much different. Yeah, I agree. I, I, would, I, would, I would agree with you that last year's league was actually similar enough to this year's league. It was very up and down, and you know, with a couple of issues, we've a couple of injuries and things like that. But uh, I suppose the narkiness I always feel comes from because you're not at the level you need to be at in terms of fitness, in terms of mental freshness, in ter- well, in terms of mental. Uh, being in the right state of mind and things for the game, you know, because when we similar to last year, when we came back this year, um, I suppose we kind of came back late. We only came back first week of January, so we didn't have a lot of work done going into the league. And then you're you're coming up, honestly, you're just coming up against teams that are fitter than you at the time. And I suppose the narkiness and the you know the I suppose you you kind of get you kind of get a bit of annoyed about how the game is going because you're not, I suppose, you're not moving as well as you normally would be, you know. Um, and teams are just they're fitter than you and they're they're faster than you at the time and 
that's where the that's where the annoyance comes from, I suppose. But once once you get the championship, everyone is prepared as best you can. So it's it's a level playing field by the time you get the championship. So it's periodization that like you, you know you you weren't as fit and as ready to go a month ago, two months ago, three months ago as you will be in two weeks next week, the month after. That's like you know you have to plan the season out with the intention of peaking at specific moments. Yeah, that's it. You know, simple as we as I said, we didn't go back to, or we didn't go back to the first week of January, and that's. And that's just a fact. And uh, some teams might have been back a month before. Some teams might have been back two months before. And they were way further down the line by the time the league comes around. But as the season goes on, uh, like as I said, the, the playing field becomes much more level. And as the season comes on, you know, maybe that little bit of freshness might might benefit us in the long run. You know, time will tell us. And on an individual level, how do you stop yourself from getting narky again? I suppose you learn from your mistakes. You know, unfortunately, I had a. Uh, I've seen the goal the game this year. I got sent off and. Uh, that's you know it's a it's kind of a moment that you know puts you back in your puts you back in your box a little bit of, you know you've got to learn from those moments it's a, it's a horrible thing to happen um, you know getting sent off and leaving your teammates down and having to go home after the game look at your family and you know you just feel you just feel awkward and it's just it's a horrible feeling so like anything like like any mistake like any negative moments in your life you've got to learn from them and make sure that they don't happen again you know so um, hopefully I've done that Is there somebody you speak to to just work it out and kind of go this is what happened this is how it happened if I'm going to be in the same scenario again I'll know how to avoid it or is that something you just have to work on yourself like is there because I often wonder like you, you talked about um, you didn't use the word humility but it was definitely a humility to ask for help it's not a very Irish male characteristic and we definitely need to have those conversations about all sorts of aspects of life but like it's good to ask for help when something goes wrong it's not actually a sign of weakness it's a sign of strength Mm. Yeah, I did. I sat down with I sat down with Caroline, uh, our sports psychologist, who I would have been sitting down with anyway. But I suppose we just had an extra topic to, to talk about when we did sit down. I suppose um, a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, as I said, like you know, when you have top class people there to to help you, to to give you advice, to look after you, you know, to to help you be the best person you can be, you'd be stupid not to uh, I suppose not to dip into those resources that you have so yeah like we as everyone knows like Caroline Hurd is one of the top sports psychologists in Ireland we're fortunate enough to have her so as I said you'd be you'd be ridiculous not to be using her in, in those instances so you know just to improve on things like you know little mistakes that you make and, and things like that there was one other thing that um, you talked about in the papers about how uh, again it was a humility I thought where you were saying look we shouldn't yet be um, talked about in the same uh, realm as that Greg Kilkenny team because they all have seven, eight, uh, nine, and uh, more All Irelands in, in some instances. Um, but your team, your team has achieved uh, a level at the moment where people are legitimately having those conversations. And I know, I you know, you're, you're not having them as a group, but like at some point when you do look back, there will have been a, an age profile of this team right now and an opportunity for this team right now to go and and be spoken about forever in those terms. Uh, is is any of that a motivation? I know it was for the Dubs at, at one stage. They were like, actually, you know, we're not just going to be a good team this year. We could be an all-time great team. And if everybody, you know, if everybody lives the life they're supposed to lead, if everybody stays committed, if everybody keeps doing, if the management team stay committed, is history of interest? Um, again, like as I said, we w- we wouldn't discuss those things as a group, but you know like realistically and honestly if you ask anyone do they want to be a part of something special of course they want to say yes you know 
ask every single intercounty player about hurling and football, ladies football, camogie. Right now, what's their goal for the year? You know, they're going to want to win the All Ireland. It's as simple as that. Everybody, everybody wants to win as much as they can. So, um, look, I leave. We, we we don't, as I said, we don't talk about that, but we leave that discussion to other people. We just want to win. We just want to win as much as we can. You know, we just want to keep racking up those. We want to keep racking up as many medals as you can. You know, I'm a big soccer fan. I was watching the, the Liverpool and City game there um, on Monday, and you know, there was a discussion before the game about. Roy Keane was talking about how Liverpool, if they want to be a great team, they haven't won enough trophies. You know, they want they need to win a couple more trophies. So, every team, regardless of whether every te- any team, whether they want to be a great team or not, wants to win wants to win as much as they can. So um, that hasn't changed down the Limerick. You, you mentioned hunger a while ago, and I would agree with you to what you were talking about about hunger. You know, so um, yeah, like that's 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 just just the plain and simple answer. Of course, we want to win as much as we can, you know, and see where that leaves us in time, and let other people talk about whatever they want to talk about. Well, I think the discussion on hunger it does a disservice to all of the teams who ever were beaten, like that Mayo team uh, in football. They're very hungry. The Waterford team that were beaten by Kilkenny in the Ireland final, they were starving. Your dad's Limerick team were absolutely starving as well after a famine, and, and the notion that like uh, they weren't hungry enough to get over the line, it's it's kind of bollocks. It doesn't come down to hunger. It doesn't come down to hunger. As you said a while ago, it comes down to, you know, it comes down to loads of things, but I wouldn't necessarily hunger as a thing. You know, I look at all the great teams that have won over and over and over again. You know, were they as hungry as somebody else? I don't know, maybe not. But, you know, it comes down to decision-making, skill, you know, um, loads of things. I don't not necessarily, I don't, as, as I said, I would agree with you in terms of hunger. I'm not necessarily sure is that the most important thing leading into, the, leading into a big game or leading into a year. I guess the other thing is... Um keeping the motivation high would be the sense that you're improving and you've talked about the desire to improve as an individual do you feel like you're becoming a better hurler because like you're still potentially a good bit away from your peak in terms of like you you know the level of conditioning you have but the experience that you have and uh, the wisdom that you have there's still a couple of years I would say before if if your career goes the same way that everybody else's does that like you could be 29, 30 before you reach your absolute peak do you feel like you're still improving? I do, without a doubt. Like I, I always kind of laugh at this, that not so long ago, like you weren't in your peak until you re- kind of reached 30, 31, you know. So it's funny how it, the, the, the mindset has kind of shifted in the GA over the last number of years in terms of where people's peaks are actually at. But I suppose everyone is different. Like I didn't have, I didn't, like what some of the young lads on our panel are doing at the moment is, is, is mad. I wouldn't have been able to do that. Like I wasn't good enough to play for them until I was 22, 23. And, you know, we do have young lads on the panel now coming in as young as 18 that are pushing for, you know, a spot on the panel, a spot on the team. You know, they're coming in with strength and conditioning that is just off the charts. And as I said, I was absolutely miles off it when I was there. So I, I don't necessarily think of a lot of mileage on the clock at a young age. So um, I would definitely say I'm, I'm still improving. As you said, my conditioning is... Is, is always improving you know your your mental toughness your mental your the mental aspect of the game is something that I've bought into massively over the last couple of years and um, as I said that's only starting to pay off again over the last couple of years and you know even strength and conditioning side of things that's all gradual improvement so I would say definitely I've never been in a better position than in the championship yet The other thing is that it's a very unified setup that you're in that the whole county has 
rode in behind, you know, 10, 12 years ago now, big decisions were made and your your generation is benefiting from it. But we see the knock-on impact in football as well. And it feels like everybody's feeding off the success. It's not like this is an island where a bunch of players have come through together and you've got to try and get everything that happens when those players are together because it's not ever going to happen again. And I'm not saying you take it for granted, but certainly it feels like the structures are there to help you guys be your very best. Yeah. I've said it a million times before, like we are, you know, we are a group of players that, that strive to be the best we can be. And obviously we do have a lot of talent, but we're extremely lucky to have the, the guys over us that are, that are over us, you know. Um, like I, I was actually, I was asked a very interesting question yesterday by um, one of the lads in the media for the launch. And he was talking about the new rule for the under 20s that they can't play senior if, or they can't play under 20s if they play senior. And I was talking about how when we were when we were under twenty one in twenty fifteen, John Kylie was our manager and like if Keen Lynch was on the senior panel at the time and he had played senior that year, if he wasn't able to play with us that year, we probably wouldn't have won the under twenty one All Ireland. We probably wouldn't have even won the first round. We only beat Tipperary by a point or two, if I remember correctly. And Keane was obviously integral to that team at the time. And it's interesting that I'd say seventy five percent of that team are now on our intercounty team and, and some of the some a lot of them are starting. John is obviously the manager. You know, if we are beaten by tipping that first game if Keane can't play, it's interesting to see where where Limerick Hurling is now, you know what I mean? It, it's it's kind of a crossroads. It's it's very you know, which I was just saying that the, the under twenty rule, I, I really don't agree with it that if you're good enough to play inter uh, senior when you're under twenty, they're punishing you for not playing your own age group, you know. So um yeah, it's, it's unfortunate, I suppose, for those lads. But it's just interesting that at a, a little moment in time, 2015, how how the could have been changed a lot if that rule was in place at the time. You obviously have a very deep relationship with with John Kiley and with Paul Canerk. Is it a two way street? Are you free to go and say, "Look, I think we need to do this," or "I I've, I feel like this is something that we're not doing as well"? How much how much do they listen to what you guys are saying to them, and what's the feedback loop like? Oh, they listen to us a lot. Like again, I suppose for for them, why wouldn't they? You know, like you, they do have thirty five, thirty six lads in front of them that um, are striving to be the best they can be. You know, obviously thirty five, thirty six are the best starters in our county in front of them every night at training. And as I said, like we would analyze games uh, after we'd analyze a game at the weekend on the Tuesday night after training. And you know, you'd obviously look for areas of improvement, and we would have an open discussion as to you know the positives and negatives associated with that game or in the lead up to a game. You know, again, we'd have analysis sessions of whatever whatever team is that we're coming up against. And again, as you said, the feedback loop is quite open. We are completely trusted to uh, give our opinion, whether that be an analysis before uh, post game or pre game. You know, and uh, obviously they'd listen to us and you know things like that. So it's our our, our opinion is valued definitely and. In, in that kind of thing it's definitely the most open Munster Championship that we've had in a long time in that everybody f- will feel like on their day they're going to be able to cause trouble for their opponents uh, do you feel that too is this is this as um, as edgy as you might have been in the build up to a Munster Championship I, I, I always think the Munster Championship is extremely open you know the Munster Championship is they talk about the Ulster Football Championship as being uh, one of the best championships that there is, um, provincial championships. I would say the Munster, Munster Hurling Championship is definitely up there with it. Every single team in in Munster, whether it be Clare, Waterford, Tip, ourselves, uh, or Cork, are going to be thinking they're going to win the Munster this year. That is going to be the aim for every single county. And if it isn't, um, you know, there's no point even saying if it isn't because it is. Every single county is going to want to win the Munster in in Munster this year. So it is extremely open. It's, it's always extremely open. Nothing has changed. And again. This year, going back to the, the format, the group stage format where everybody has to play each other, 
you know, there's no excuses. If there's no such thing as having an off day this year, you know, everybody has to play everybody. So if you're in, if you're in the fourth and fifth positions, um, I suppose you just weren't good enough this year, you know. And the top two will play each other in the final and see who wins, and obviously third will go out into a qualifier or whatever it is. So. Yeah, it's a very exciting couple of weeks coming up without a doubt for players and, and, and fans. Oh yeah, it's brutal and it's great for us as, as neutrals. Uh, I can only imagine the level, excitement level of actually being involved in it. Grod, always great to talk to you. Thanks a million. Cheers, lads. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's Grod Hegarty there, uh, Borgosh Energy Ambassador, who was at the launch of the Borgosh Energy Gift of the Gab at Croke Park in Dublin. And uh, for details of that, you can contact BGE at giftofthegab.ie and um, it is the sixth year of Borgosh Energy sponsorship of the GA Hurling All-Ireland Senior Championship. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us this morning, 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. You can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. You can use the hashtag OTBAM or you can get us at OffTheBallAM on Twitter. And our show is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Phil's up next. OTBAM Now, Phil Egan is with us. Phil, good morning to you. Morning. How are you doing? Um, should we talk about the Republic of Ireland first, right? So, uh, Katie McCabe answered the question that Ashing asked her earlier on about what the plan was not to get beaten yeah it's very difficult to have that mindset when it's like don't get beaten don't lose don't lose don't lose it's like uh, you know don't press the button don't press the big flashing yeah. red button don't press it don't press it Ow! yeah don't say the F word on air don't say the <laughs> no I, do you know what though sometimes what people say and what they think is different in terms of what is Vera Pau saying to the players but Vera Power is always quite honest about this kind of thing where... I'd say she's saying don't get beat. Yeah, but I, I also think as well it's... Like, the Sweden game isn't going to decide if we get a playoff place. I think things worked out nicely for us on Friday that Finland drew with Slovakia like we did in Tallinn. So the way it's set up now, Sweden just need a draw tonight and they're through. They've only one game left. Now, we've got to make, we have to hope that they're they're switched on for that final game because it's against Finland and this, the last round of games Sweden play Finland and we're away to Slovakia and we've obviously seen how tough that Slovakia game could be because you know they were better than us in Tala for large spells of the game so I think tonight it's a case of you just want to make sure that all the work that we've done under Vera Pes so this is our 20th game that she actually complained about the fact that we've only played 20 games, we should have played a lot more. As she said, Sweden have probably played twice as many because that's just the way things are at the moment, that there's an imbalance and the the best teams seem to be getting more. So that's why things like the Pinotar Cup were so important to Vera Powell that she could look at other players. But if we were to lose tonight, it's all really about that Finland game and Tala later in the campaign. We've obviously beaten them away and... Tala has been quite a good ground for us. I know Sweden won there. But it's about tonight is just about, you know, all that stuff we've done against all those top teams that we played where, you know, there was games where we lost quite heavily, but Vera Power was like, no, keep playing the best. Eventually, you will get closer to the best. And you just hope that we go out. Obviously, there's going to be maybe one change in defence. I'd imagine she'll stick with three at the back. That's the, the system that she prefers. And you just got to keep a solid shape and make things hard for Sweden. And I think the players actually will love the fact that there's going to be 50, almost 15,000 there because players, the Irish players are getting used to playing in front of bigger crowds now. And 
why wouldn't you relish that playing the best team in Europe so they're ranked number two in the world so by that logic they are the best team in Europe in their own backyard there's going to be a party atmosphere they all expect to turn up and they'll get the job done they'll win and they'll be off to the World Cup next year with a game to spare and happy days for them so what a challenge that is for us it's just a case of so you've got to start start well and as the longer the game goes on at nil all then obviously the more twitchy they become the more frustrated it was interesting to hear that they think we're quite a physical team which I wouldn't necessarily say that I mean we're we're a tough team but I don't think we're over physical no I mean everybody can what okay we should we should probably get less offended by the uh, the pigeonholing that has happened to Irish football but uh, maybe it's the type of thing that we need to start throwing the shackles off Let, let's go to the Champions League right yep uh, do Chelsea have any chance tonight or rather how do they fix what went horribly wrong for them in the first leg and try and rescue the scenario tonight I think just the team the team selection really baffled me last week remember we sat in here last week and we talked ahead of the game and I talked about how good and maybe underrated Kovacic is and he left him out he played Jorginho I could see what he was trying to do because obviously you've Conte in there who at times like having two players in there but I think that the surprise then was that he played Aspilicueta as a left wing back. Whether people like Marcus Alonso as in terms of what he does when he's going back towards his own goal, but he's a natural left footed player and it was quite noticeable last week that any time Aspilicueta got on the ball as a left wing back, he wasn't comfortable going on the outside, so he'd check and he'd have to come back inside and it'd slow things down. Alonso obviously came in against Southampton and scored the opening goal so I think he'll start Aspilicueta has travelled he missed that Southampton game because of Covid but he's returned negative tests he's travelled if he's ready then you play him I think you take Christensen out Christensen had a woeful night at Stamford Bridge last week Phoenicia's junior had him on toast and that's where Real looked the most threatening then that side so Aspilicueta comes into the back three then you've got Rhys James and Marcus Alonso as your, your wing backs I'd bring Kovacic in instead of Jorginho and I would take Pulisic out and I would go with Timo Werner now Werner is a bit slapstick at times where he gets himself into these great positions you saw him the other day hit yeah. the post You're putting hit him the, the crossbar really? yeah I am because the threat is there all the time but that threat is going to miss a sitter or score two. Well, I miss a sitter. Miss four sitters. Two. Yeah, but two from six. Yeah, but the goal strike rate. Yeah. And look how good he was. But do you know what? Even if he's missing chances, what that does to the opposition is it unnerves them because it, you can't just say it's Timo Werner. He's going to miss. Let him run through. He'll miss. Well, yeah, I mean, they find actually. <laughs> They try, you drop your guard at your peril against Werner the fifth yeah. or sixth time. He, he keeps going as well. Like in fairness to him, I I have to commend him because Tuchel said it himself. Where I don't know what to say to him anymore. I can't keep saying, yeah. you know, keep going. The goals will come because then he put him in the team and the goals didn't come. But they did come the other day. And the one that I felt so sorry for him was the Havertz one, where he ran around a load of players and then hit the post and Havertz tapped it in but you could see Werner was so frustrated and Havertz came over and they, they embraced but at the same time he yeah. was thinking was brilliant should play. have scored brilliant forward play inside yeah. of the post yeah. just Havertz is thinking do I have to touch this, this player I might catch something off him that's but what he's thinking I might first goals. technically was an assist actually Well, I so. does it count as an assist I don't think it does it's, it's a miss it's a miss post, you hit the post the it's a miss Konchelskis used to go through one on one and the keeper would purposely save his first shot so he had an easy rebound in 
he'd hit it straight at the keeper so it would come back to him easy tap in bonus <laughs> if it went in first time that's, what, that's, that. what, well, that's what Werner was thinking in fairness his first, I thought his first goal was excellent he runs through and yeah, has the composure to well. take it around Look, he, was 45, he was 45 million or whatever it was yeah. you know he, 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 he had an amazing season I, you know, I'm saying that there's obviously something there but mm. it's just that he's he, there's that strain of strikers at Chelsea that catch whatever the disease is and uh, it's Chelsea-itis and they're just no good anymore. Oh yeah, there's a segment on their failed number nines in the Abramovich era. Yeah, but let's go back to one of those, right? Go on. The greatest moment in Fernando Torres' history as a Chelsea player New was camp. in, was was in, in Spain. Was when they were down, the chips were down and maybe Timo Werner does that at the Bernabeu tonight. Yeah. But I think Chelsea have to score first and then we'll see. And do you know what? Werner might just give them a bit of extra energy. I know Pulisic is quick, but he just couldn't get into the game last week. So I'm not completely writing them off. As I said, I was baffled by what happened last week because I did not expect such an open game. It went against everything Chelsea did so well last season to win the Champions League, where sometimes the games weren't great to watch, but no. they were effective. This was the complete opposite of that, yeah. where they were standing off, they weren't closing down. The, the three defenders looked like it was the first time they were playing three at the back. It was like, are you not all supposed to know exactly where each other is? Because it, it definitely looked like they weren't even speaking to each other. Yeah. Do you know what, on their opponents tonight in Real Madrid, do you think Carlo Ancelotti is incredibly underrated as a manager in the, the grand scheme of Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola? He's about to win the league with Real Madrid, which will mean he'll have won the league, all five big leagues. Yeah. And he's won the Champions League the most times, three, with the most different clubs, two. And he, no one gives it, people just talk about his eyebrow well, and how he's a pretty cool character and that's kind of it and he just lets players play. He did lose a Champions League final from 3-0 up. But he also won two other Champions League finals with the same team. I mean, they they were the best team in in Europe by a mile. He but has do you know, where do you think? Do you think he stands in a fair position overall? I think when he when he retires from management, he will go down as one of the the great managers of this era. Now he doesn't have like he's not as transformative in terms of the way he plays as the likes of uh, Guardiola or yeah. or Klopp, but. As you said, everywhere he goes, he tastes doing something. success. Yeah, and you can see why Everton were so excited when they got him. Now, the second half of last season wasn't very good for him, and the fact it was that's why it was such a surprise that he went back in at Real Madrid. But yeah, he's about to win the league with them. Um, I wonder what it means for next season. Does he stay on? And that will be the real test where Barcelona have got their their act together. And that will definitely be a, a, a sterner test for them. And obviously, that midfield trio, especially Crows and, and Modric, which we imagine Modric will will sign a contract, then it'll be another year. So, how good will Real Madrid be next season? But no, he's, he's I think as well he can be very good in one-off games tactically. Yeah. Now, when he was in charge of Napoli, he certainly knew how to play and just kind of get under the skin of Liverpool when they played them in the Champions League. Now. In the end, Liverpool prevailed and they got through that group and the the season that they went on to win it. But no, I think he's I think he's a really good. Which coach. side of the draw are, are they on? They're on the they're on this side of the draw, right? Tonight's the same side of the draw. That's no, uh, no it's uh, the winner of Real and Chelsea play City or Atletico. Okay, okay. And I, I think when Tricky. the draw was made, a lot of us felt we were looking at an all Premier League semi final. Um. Yeah. Don't think so. Now, I, I I thought Real Madrid were having a very stereotypical Champions League winning Real Madrid season where they're kind of crap in the league for ages. The rest of the league was also crap this season, and then they found a bit of form 
uh, Vinicius stopped missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Benzema's just been sensational. And Modric and Cruz, and you're like, okay. And I think Alaba settled in. I think he was just slow to settle for whatever reason, but he's absolutely sensational. I'm really surprised Chelsea didn't make more of a, a bid, or Manchester United didn't make more of an opportunity, take more of a uh, chance to try and get Alaba. When it was clear he was free uh, last January, it wasn't going to sign. There was never any hint of any of the teams. I think his dream was Madrid. Yeah. I think he was always. Still have that pull, and yeah. we'll see. Barcelona still have that pull as well. Everybody has that pull until you offer them an extra hundred grand a week. Do you know? Like he would have been worth it. Yeah, but maybe they maybe they offered him a pretty decent contract, and he you know wanted to go anyway. But you see, look, they don't have a the greatest squad that they've ever had on paper, certainly in the last decade. And look at what he's doing with them, Ancelotti. Very consistent in the league, doing very well in the Champions League. Unless they have a capitulation tonight, which I don't think they will. Um, I think he's actually a victim of his own laid back demeanor that he's not rated a bit more highly. I know at Bayern Munich there was complaints that his uh, training sessions weren't the most intense and then Arjen Robin have to organise secret training sessions <laughs> yeah. because his wasn't uh, intense enough. But he got results with them. The yeah. underrated coach where your own players are coming out and saying this well, guy's he does, not he actually coaching them. Right? So underrated in what way the, here? He's about look right. At his, see, look at his Wikipedia. He's rated about right. It's You have to scroll. I'd say you have to do a good three or four index finger scroll on a desktop to go through his list of honours. Yeah, and he, was, an he wasn't a bad player either. No, including he wasn't a bad player. Um, but like, he's not in the same bracket as, as Klopp. I wouldn't say he was, but I'm saying, you know, I think he's still a little underrated from based on his achievements. Brian Clough wasn't a great coach. It no. was his management style. No. Got nothing as far as amazing success it's, and derby. Yeah, okay. All right. What about Leeds? You're not buying it, it's fine. Huh? What about Leeds? Well, that's his Everton for Angelotti everyone has one um, okay so your prediction is Real Madrid going to go through yeah but I'm not I'm not counting Chelsea out just yet I, I would, I'm looking forward to seeing Real Madrid against Manchester City mm. You're, you think their City are just going to turn up tomorrow I don't and I, I actually I really don't I think, the, I think I wonder how much sun they took out of them whereas Atletico on a Saturday afternoon went to Mallorca got beaten by the yeah. way against a team that were in the relegation zone had a decent team out but probably Atletico playing in you know second or third gear whereas you got a flavour of uh, towards the end of the first leg last week with some of the antics of the Atletico players how fiery tomorrow's going to be yeah and I, I actually I, I think it's going to be obviously it's at the same time as Liverpool Benfica but Liverpool are home and hose so I think Atletico and City is the game to watch tomorrow certainly see how it starts if Atletico score first then we've got ourselves one hell of a game it's going to be an interesting game I think almost irrespective of what happens and De Bruyne is playing football at a very very high level so he should just watch as much of De Bruyne playing when he's fit like this uh, when he's playing this well you should watch him as often as you possibly can but I do f- it does feel like they're, they're cresting um, my one concern would be their defence isn't very good the central defence like um and I, I, I don't know I still think Kyle Walker has those mistakes in him um, okay so the other thing that we just need to talk to you about is your, your fascination with the slow bicycle race that is sorry but Bayern Munich going to go through almost irrespective even though they're 1-0 down they, like they should have been 2-0 down but that's a very Bayern thing to happen yeah I think again they, were, they started so quickly against Salzburg I don't think Villarreal will capitulate like that so it could be a slow burner for Bayern but you'd imagine they should be able to edge it and the fact that there's no away goal so even if they conceded one hmm. you still think that they'll have enough firepower to get the job done but if if not I mean Liverpool fans would be rubbing their hands at the thoughts of playing Villarreal 
in a in a semi final. Um, but I'd still be leaning towards Bayern. Yeah, Everton dealt Burnley a fatal blow by beating Manchester United at the weekend. Yeah, I think. What was so funny about Sean Dyche's interview last week after they beat Everton was him having the nerve to talk about Everton not knowing how to win a game when Burnley have won the fewest games in the Premier League this season. And, you know, Everton and Leeds put the pressure on Burnley. Burnley going to a Norwich team who, look, they won, but Norwich are going down. And Burnley had moments towards the end of the first half where they were knocking on the door. But now I'm starting to think that that bottom three is going to stay as it was and it was such a pivotal weekend for Everton and, and for Leeds Leeds look like they're they're safe and they're defending better under Jesse Marsh it's definitely not as entertaining but the main thing is that they stay in the Premier League and you feared the worst when they lost that game against Aston Villa mm. whatever about they lost to Leicester and they actually had chances in that game but the way they conceded the goals against Villa at Elland Road there was a real feeling that they're going to go under. And then they come back with the, the last gas win against Norwich, but the Wolves win was the one. That was the, the turnaround where they came from 2-0 down and just incredible win for them. So I think they're okay. Everton, I've always felt if they are going to stay up, it's their home form and they showed exactly why on, on Saturday. The one thing, the Everton fans haven't turned on the team because they know it's too important. They can't, like, they need these players to be feeling good um, you know you can do all the post-mortems at the end of the season and say right you're a, this has been an absolute mess yeah. but let's address it now in the summer and this is what has to be done for the start of next season in the Premier League but we know how disastrous it would be for Everton if they got relegated but I think that win and Burnley's loss means it should be okay um, um, they do still have to play each other though alright or sorry, not play each other. They still uh, Everton and um, Watford still have to play a few of the teams. Mm. But it's not totally done. But the, you would say that they're certainly favourites at this point. I think so. Yeah, Phil, good stuff. Thanks very much for that. Yeah. You can hear more from Phil on the brief. You can subscribe to that wherever you get your podcasts. The best place is on the OTB Sports app. And a reminder: what's on OTB Sports Radio between now and ten o'clock tonight? OTB Gold is Barry Ryan, The Ascent. There's a dadcast at three o'clock. Mount Rushmore's Tyrone at four. Live commentary of Sweden versus the Republic of Ireland. Coverage starts at five and then the show is live on the radio tonight from seven and off the ball on News Talk. You can just tell your smart speaker to play OTB Sports Radio. We're going to hear from the Connacht head coach Andy Friend on tomorrow's show. We have Olympic champion Kelly Harrington. We're also reacting to the Republic of Ireland versus Sweden with Emma Byrne. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.